What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 71st draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. How about you? I am very sore. Uh, I helped move uh, my brother uh, over the past couple of days um, yeah. to his new apartment, which uh, is very nice. He's actually living like the the, the design of it. Looks a lot like um, your old place on uh, Bremner Boulevard. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. kind of sort of in industrial design that's kind of made like super quick. That's kind of cold and s- steel looking, but also just like your brother, Connor. <laughs> yeah. Just, just yeah. Just like Connor. Um, no, Connor could is, is, is I'm more like that than I know. I know. Personality I mean, than, than he care. is. Um, yeah. He, that's he, great. He, dude. He, so he's back in the back in the city. Yep, he's back in the yeah. city uh, working. He uh, says hello to you and hopes that your headache is is has lessened yeah. since then. <laughs> I've gotten over that point. Now I just tell people when I don't want to go out. I don't give them excuses. So your brother could ask me now, and I'll just be like, I don't oh, want to go. He'll do hold that. on to that for the rest of, oh, of of time because, like, we have this in joke where we went to a cottage back in. 2006 and i did not want to be there and literally the whole time that sounds um, about right i i sat inside watching satellite tv over yeah like i've had days. those moments yeah yeah, and this, yeah this was in like um port perry and like literally the only this was this was the summer of 2006 and the only thing i could think of is like i want to get back into uh the suburbs so i can go see miami vice and lady <laughs> in the water uh, oh see we i would have also been at the cottage because i saw miami vice at the sobble beach owen sound drive-in as well so yeah but anyways there was a joke that was made and it's still referenced oh yeah i don't to it. this day and it's just like connor i mean none of the marchins let things go but like connor nah, just brings up this joke all the time no nah, i get it i get it i deserve it anyway so um i also it reminds me of that time i helped you move and connor move out of uh your old place and uh, it was me connor and kyle i think and your wonderful mother and then you were uh supervising uh yes. is what i remember yeah so that was uh my memory of helping the marchins move from your old place uh god where was that it was on where was it was it was it um the first place I, you you lived with connor yeah yeah because it, it wasn't because uh high park was where we were kyle and i were. kyle yeah yeah and i remember that one time that you were sprawled out on the couch when kyle and i came back from durham that, that was the tiff i met nevis so yeah, yeah. you uh, guys you looked like me, an adonis yeah. on the bed and you had like just like your your shirt was, it was off. hot like, in there oh hey matt <laughs> in the summer but your your brother kyle's place would get so frigid because i would me and you i think were the air ac kings where we we would have to crank it up to be like literally uh the antarctic in there and i yeah i remember it being so hot and you guys let me crash there thankfully before you guys uh got back into the city and i remember because i i remember it vividly because you weren't there and i believe that was even the night where i went to the film critics pub night here in toronto and that's when i met adriana uh, Adriana Floridia, uh, our, our good friend who we used to co-host, um, our old podcast, um, uh, movie monarchy with, um, I met her that night. And then that's the connection of when I met Nevis the, the week later. Um, but I remember that night cause it was, uh, it was raining and I think like, I don't know, I, I don't know why I just was in my boxers on your couch, <laughs> just like <laughs> lying out, but it was uh, amazing cause Kyle and I walk in and it's like, Oh, Hey Matt. And you're just literally just lying there. It's like, Oh, Hey guys. <laughs> 
yeah, you guys got in pretty late, but yeah. Because you were working for Tribute at that point, too. Yeah, but I think this was like pre-festival, right? Like, I think it was, I think we were still in like prep mode, but I was doing the Tribute magazine thing because that would have been 2013 um, when I crashed on yours and Kyle's couch in the living room there. And um, yeah, I I just remember it vividly because it was the the tiff that I met uh, Nevis, so I remember that. But yeah, I remember your old place with Connor, because it was an older building, and I'm trying to remember what street it was even on. Um, well, I, I remember the grown-ups two situation that we had to like oh when God, the yeah. storm happened, and literally, what what theater were we at? It was it we was at, um, uh, York Yorkdale or Fairview? Yeah, York, Yorkdale. Yeah, and, and literally, we get there to go and see the press screening of Grown Ups Two, and we didn't want to be there to begin with, but, but it was early <laughs> days, and we wanted yeah. to show face and and kind of be, you know, on Sony's good side. So we went, and and literally ten twenty minutes before the movie was supposed to sort of get in, uh, the power went out in the entire. There was mall. a bad like rainstorm and stuff. It, right, it was brutal. Like it was like the water. It was one of the worst dry. ones. Yeah. We thought that there was going to be flooding in the mall, and then we got on a, a, a bus to go back to the place, and literally the bus was almost like three floating. And, and it took us three and a half hours to get back in Toronto to like your place, which was absolutely ridiculous. So we didn't even see Grown Ups, Grown Ups Two, and it took us a total of like five and a half hours, like total throughout this whole thing, and it was just a nightmare. But yeah, the many memories of the Marchin residences around. Um, Toronto um and now the couple for me uh for me here too and even the places we rented during TIFF with like which were better with our with our good friend Mike Munts but um oh god I don't even know how we got onto this but hi everybody welcome to the Untitled Movie Podcast where each week Eric and I get together uh talk about um inside stories that only we'll really uh understand um of where we uh crashed on couches and and lived in toronto um but if you like that we also talk about entertainment stuff on this show uh usually uh things like uh the horrible layoffs at tiff this past week as well as tiff also announcing their festival plans the day after Uh, great timing guys (laughs) yeah michael keaton uh coming back as batman uh we got a slew of new trailers there's a lot of stuff in the last kind of week or a week or two since our last episode so lots of to talk about today um we also have another podcast that we would love for you guys to check out uh called the untitled movie reviews on all podcast services where eric and i get together uh review a new release film um whether it's in theaters which nothing is right now or on streaming services or on on demand um sometimes we review other things like video games uh and books uh and things like that so we're trying to broaden our um, still staying within, you know, that cinematic kind of lens on all of our reviews, but we're kind of jumping around and trying to review some, uh, different mediums and things like that. So Matt, we've expanded to pop culture content, you know, uh, we, so, uh, we got a lot of good reviews up there right now for you guys to check out, uh, Eurovision song contest, the, uh, the legend of fire saga or whatever the hell it's called the uh, story <laughs> story of fire sagas up there. Uh, my review of the last of us part two, um, is up there. I'd love for you guys to check that out. Uh, we have reviews for irresistible 7,500, the King of Staten Island, uh, Defive bloods, Artemis Fowl, um, all new release films uh, with reviews up on that channel over there. And coming soon, we can talk about uh, Eric and I are reading Charlie Kaufman's uh, new novel, his his first novel, um, Ant Kind, um, 
where uh, we will, I read the first chapter um, uh, last night. Oh, my alarm's going off. Um, and uh, we'll have a review for that, hopefully around uh, its release date, which is, I, I believe, July 7th. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. So we'll Seven try or eight. To, yeah. Yeah. We'll get that week. We should hopefully uh, have a review out or it'll be a review in progress and we'll try to review the thing, uh, the entire thing um, as soon as we uh, can get through it. But it, it it's a, it's a, a dense and interesting read so far. So I'm excited for that. It's a so, yeah, beefy boy, Matt. It's yeah, a beefy I, boy. I'm kind of excited to explore um, different areas while we have to kind of get creative in this, um, you know, pandemic and covid time where there's not too many films coming out so i think stuff like the last of us and and ant kind are are kind of interesting things to tackle um both kind of having that cinematic quality that we're kind of looking for but um and we're really just looking for great stories so that's why sometimes we jump into television reviews and and things like that as well so uh, i might i think i'll be reviewing ghost of uh, tsushima as well which is a um a, a playstation exclusive game coming out in mid-july as well so i'll keep you guys posted on that but um let us know if there's anything else you guys want us to uh, you know review that's not necessarily a film so are there any good memes um, out there <laughs> yeah we'll just review memes uh eric uh what else is new other than helping um uh, connor move what have you been up uh, to not too much i mean obviously father's day wasn't too long ago and you know uh we tried to you know organize something that was uh social distance approved and and try to you know celebrate with uh my uh, grandfather who is now 92 and you know like we realized that there might not be too many more of these with with him so you know we wanted to make it special so we we had a kind of patio uh social distancing um sort of get together on our patio at, at home that we've just uh at my place that i've we've just built that we've kind of um been working on for the last few months so nice. it was kind of nice everybody mostly wore masks and you know other than when we had to eat and things like that but um and a lot of us have been in contact with each other so it wasn't like you know just randomly all coming together at once no still um, within your social circle and stuff like yeah, that. yeah exactly and and i think it's also really important right now to sort of reiterate and 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 let people know that like just because you know stores are starting to open in this you know we're getting to that second stage of patios and uh you know stores and places are starting to open even you know movie theaters are trying to reopen even though things are getting delayed uh new releases um that you know you should wear a mask even though it's not mandatory in ontario it, you know for all intents and purposes it should be yeah i agree with that i mean i went out today to grab uh a coffee and and some mcdonald's and uh i saw a good amount of people with masks but um still not not enough in my mind <laughs> and uh um, I just hope we don't, we see what's happening in the U S right now where it looks like they started to, um, you know, beat the curve and then it, it now looks like a bell curve and it's going right back up. So, um, I think that's showing that in certain areas they're opening way too early and don't have enough restrictions. Um, and then it almost seems like they're just, you know, giving up and just being like, well, fuck it. Let's just let this thing run its course which is crazy um uh, we're doing well here in ontario but yeah I, I i do worry with things starting to open i just yeah like i like eric mentioned just you know stay safe try please wear a mask if you can um and if you can't try to you know 
uh, not go out so much. I don't know. Like I'm, I, I'm skeptical with things opening up. I have no desire to go sit on a patio or go to the movies right now. And, and I know for me and you, that's tough because we love going to the movies. Um, and we have a story uh, coming up that Eric already kind of teased with, um, both Cineplex and Landmark, um, not requiring masks, but asking people like, like they'll have masks on hand and they suggest you wear one, but they're not forcing you to wear one, um, which I have some opinions on, which we can discuss later. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, it's been, yeah, I didn't get to see my dad for father's day. I kind of, he's been busy. Congrats to my parents. They just sold their, uh, their home, which is my childhood home. So uh, a bittersweet day um, seeing that sold sign um, and my parents taking a photo in front of it in front of our, house in Oshawa, um, 30 some years there. I mean, I think 33 years cause I'm 31 and I think they were there for a couple years before, um, I was born. So 33 years, I think in that house and they just, uh, just sold it, uh, in like five days. Like it went very, very quickly. So, um, yeah, Nevis and I will be heading down to the Schwa. We rented a car, um, and we'll be heading down, um, for Canada day, which is, you know, now that, we feel like, you know, as long we haven't been going anywhere and neither of my parents and sister and things like that. So I know we're allowed to open up those social circles to other people that have also been doing the same. So uh, excited to see family for the first time in, in, you know, four months, possibly see you, Eric, I hope uh, for maybe a brief moment, even if we uh, uh, stay six feet apart like that film. <laughs> You know? oh, that was actually five uh, feet apart five because feet they apart. wanted Sorry. to yeah. break the rules for romance. Yeah. Um, Such a dumb movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I, it's This week should be interesting. Happy Canada Day to everyone, um, all of our Canadian listeners. Uh, as you're Happy listening Pride to this, as well. You know? Yeah, Pride Month. Um, yeah. So um, I don't know. I, I'm cautiously optimistic that we can, you know, keep this going because we are, you know, seeing cases close to – you know, the low 100s, hopefully we can get that under 100 and, and keep that going down. But we really need people to know, you know, wear masks and 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 stick to this thing and not just because things are opening up and the weather's getting nicer to just, you know, let it all go to shit like we're seeing uh, in some of the US states. I love you guys, but there are a lot of people that... Well, there's a certain group that feel yeah. that this is a political maneuver and that wearing a mask goes against their constitutional rights and freedoms. And this is not a political thing. This is a human it's a thing. Respecting. It's, a, it's a respect thing, but it's also to protect you. Yes, it's but also that's what I to mean. help sort of not eliminate because not eliminate the 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 you know the potential for spreading entirely, but at least to eliminate some of that percentage of it being uh more spreadable and 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 i think that people need to look at this and not say like this is a democratic or republican thing in the u.s and this is just a person thing and then like the other you know video that's been viral in the last couple of days is of that woman in trader joe's saying she can't wear a mask because she has a breathing problem that's just bullshit as well because there are tons of people that have breathing problems myself included who has serious asthma and the mask does not affect that in any way whatsoever so please be courteous to others and please be courteous to yourself because you don't want to get this we want to flatten the curve to a point where we can implement the next stages and eventually once that vaccine does come in whether it be a year from now or two years from now that 
we'll be at a place where people can find some sort of room for more normal activities. But if you're jumping the gun and basically saying, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, go outside and not wear a mask and hang out on a patio and, you know, run around that isn't, you know, protest based or, or, or something that has sort of a structure to it. You're, you're, you're not only being, negligent but you're being ignorant to the situation at hand i agree and i don't want people to think we spent you know the first few minutes here being preachy or whatever but i i do think it's important because um and i won't stop saying that so and we'll talk about it a little bit more uh when we get to you know the policies we're seeing from some of the theater chains here in canada uh all right eric let's uh move on um what have you been watching the last week well, Matt, uh, as I mentioned uh, last night after reading the uh, epilogue of uh, Antkind, I uh, also watched or rewatched uh, Wishmaster, the 1995 Wes Craven produced. Obviously, your 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 phone is excited for Wishmaster. Yeah. The alarm is going off at any time that movie is mentioned. Um, it was Wes Craven was an executive producer on it, and it was kind of like an attempt to make a new Freddy Krueger Jason character for the '90s. That is this gin genie type character who, you know, anyone he comes in contact, he says, you know, make a wish, and the wish, you know, that that old saying of "be careful what you wish for" comes up, and uh, everybody that makes those wishes uh, ends up sort of getting the raw end of the deal. It's the kind of the monkey paw situation. Be careful. Of, of what you're wishing for and it's it's okay it's it's a very goofy movie uh the lead actor who plays the titular wishmaster slash gin andrew uh Devoff is kind of fun but also stilted performance wise but i always remember kind of being more frightened by the poster of it when i saw it as a kid uh in movie theaters where it's like this kind of creepy almost vampire-esque bram stoker's vampire face um with this little gem at the bottom of the poster that's red, that's kind of glowing and smoke is pillowing up. And I always remember seeing Wes Craven's name on those posters and thinking, okay, well, this is the guy who did, you know, nightmare on Elm street and things like that. And kind of just being afraid of it on name recognition. Um, but it's, it's a very goofy movie. It's, it's available uh, through Vestron video on Blu-ray and in the four pack, there are, are four direct to video sequels and, um it's a master oh yeah yeah it's 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 got a whole series that and warlock seem to be the two films that you never would have thought would have you know a direct-to-video or direct-to-video i do remember this poster now that i'm looking at it yeah 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 and um like tony todd and robert england are in it as well and like that's the other thing that it's very kind of gimmicky and bringing other horror movie uh actors in into the film um and it's on Amazon Prime as well if you want to check it out. But it's it's a very goofy little movie. W- what have you been watching, Matt? Um, you know what? I, I'm still back on my bullshit uh, going through uh, the MCU with Nevis. I don't need to go into too much detail because obviously I, I did a big rewatch last year. Um, was it last year before Endgame or before Infinity War? I, I, I do it every year. Who knows? Um, but what's exciting about this, like I mentioned before, is that um, Nevis hadn't seen a lot of the MCU films. She um, had seen everything or mostly everything after uh, in phase three. So she'd seen from everything from like Doctor Strange on. Um, 
So it, it's now kind of fun watching it with her and her having the context that she never had um, with any of the other films. So I think some of the payoffs are are working a lot better for her now. Um, it's interesting getting her takes and her spicy takes and things like that. I mentioned that she had Iron Man 2 and, um, and Age of Ultron pretty high, um, which uh, was unexpected. Um, but I like that. And then um, I can give an update of where we are now. So we just finished Black Panther. Um, and Nevis has uh, Thor Ragnarok at number one, Black Panther at number two, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming at number three, uh, Captain America Civil War at number four, Age of Ultron at number five, Guardians 2 at number six, Iron Man 2 at number seven, Guardians at number eight, Iron Man 3 at number nine, and the Avengers at number 10. I'll just do a top 10. Um, I think the consensus here is that Dark World and Incredible Hulk are the worst of the worst. And I think on mostly everyone's lists that that's pretty much uh, uh, accurate. Uh, Other spicy takes from Nevis, uh, Winter Soldier, uh, pretty low at number 13. Uh, The original Iron Man, pretty low at number 15. Um, And uh, so I thought that was interesting. But I'm also kind of with her with Winter Soldier that... Um, the more I rewatch Winter Soldier, the less I, I, I mean, I like it. I, I, everything above Thor and Thor, the dark world, um, I at least enjoy. Um, but I have like Ant-Man and Dr. Strange again at that kind of bottom of the rung, not bad movies, but I feel like just feel unimportant, unimportant or not as necessary and entertaining in their own right in different ways. Like I like some of the visuals in Dr. Strange and I like Paul Rudd a lot in Ant-Man, um, but those two movies, I always just kind of throw near the bottom because I just don't care about either movie. Um, and, and Nevis kind of agrees there. She had Ant-Man a lot higher, um, but had Doctor Strange fairly low. Um, so it's just kind of fun watching them. And she's like, oh, OK, I never clicked. I never clued in on that because I hadn't seen these movies beforehand. So I think some of the payoffs will be a lot um, a lot better now that we're on Infinity War. And I'm excited to. Um, watch both ant-man and the wasp and uh captain marvel because those were so recent and they came at a weird time in that you know that waiting period between infinity war and endgame where i wonder if they play better now because um we're not like just anticipating Endgame, like we already had Endgame, and now that if, if I can just watch them as for what you they are, you weren't anticipating. Yeah, yeah, there you go, <laughs> love it. So I don't know. It's fun. It's fun watching, um, you know, them with her, and 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 we're basically treating it like, which it kind of is, like a, a TV series or something like that, a huge budget TV series, and just kind of moving on to the next episode. Um, so really, really enjoying that, and um, and and doing that over, and I, I just. Those movies are comfort food, like junk food, like I keep mentioning. Um, I, I want to ask you a quick question, yeah, though, yeah. About, about that, because because there's something that I'd, I'd like to touch on. Um, you mentioned liking aspects or certain things about uh, Ant-Man and Doctor Strange and, and you know, how they're minor Marvel movies in, in the overall sort of um, MCU. But do you think if it had if those movies had a filmmaker like a James Gunn 
directing those films. I mean, at one point, Edgar Wright was going to do Ant-Man. You yeah. think that, that maybe they would be elevated on that same level as Guardians of the Galaxy? Because yeah. personally, I could see Guardians of the Galaxy falling into that sort of mid to lower tier range of Marvel movies. But because it had a filmmaker that was kind of an outsider uh, within the the world of of Marvel and someone who actually had a voice, it was kind of elevated where you see, you know, Peyton Reed more so than Scott Derrickson um, as guys that come in, do their job, do the best they can, but are making pro. I mean, it is all product, but making product to the, the definition of what, you know, these movies are sometimes considered by critics. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, I feel like they don't have a distinct voice like some of these other movies do. And and you put it perfectly of like, yes, within within reason, you can inject your own voice in this, right? And I feel like Marvel has gotten better and we've talked about it as as you get into phase three and you bring in better filmmakers. And and, and I think it started with people like Shane Black and, and James Gunn and, and um, even Favreau to an extent at the beginning. But as they tried to, you know, as Kevin Feige being the the you know the king of the MCU, it's ultimately his vision overall, right? And and when you have something that's interconnected as the MCU, you're going to have to play within the rules and 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 insert things that aren't necessarily going to be your first choice, uh, but you have to make it connect with the overall universe, which I think can be both a good and a bad thing. So when you have someone like Edgar Wright who comes in and they tried to do a little bit of that and he's like, you know what, um, this isn't really working out. You're not kind of letting me make the movie that I want to make. Uh, and then you have someone like Peyton Reed come in who um, not, uh, I mean, ironically, is a yes man um, who... He directed Yes Man, right? Did I nail that? Yes, or no? he sure did. Okay. <laughs> okay. You got it. You got them. <laughs> um, um, I, I don't know. I just feel like, like you said, he's kind of the guy who will just, you know, go with the flow and, and give them the movie that they want, which ultimately I think Paul Rudd's really entertaining in that role. Um, but I just, and some of the visuals are cool with playing with the, the size and stuff, but I just feel like, uh, I don't know. It was entertaining, but it doesn't bring anything special and I, I do agree with you that if they had an Edgar Wright or I'm curious to see what Sam Raimi is going to do with um in the multiverse of madness like um I'm I'm really really curious because like I like Scott Derrickson enough but I, I wouldn't necessarily say he like inserted his you know his voice necessarily uh I know him and 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 Robert Cargill, I think, is his, his writer's yeah. name, and usually works with. Did uh, write the script and 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 things like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably a, a good point, Eric. Where I feel like even with the Russos, as they continue to go on, they are the most marvelly, you know, filmmakers of them all. But um, that's the movie that I, I see from them. Where I feel like when you bring in a James Gunn or a Shane Black or a um um. Uh, uh, Ryan Coogler, Ryan Coogler, and like directors like that, they like bring their distinct, you know, um, voice to the movie. And I, we watched Black Panther last night, and um, that movie I think still rules, and and it it's so much better than even um when Chadwick Boseman was in Civil War, and I think Civil War is a a fun movie and 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 really really entertaining. The the more I watch that movie, the more I really like it, and um. 
but Black Panther has so much style and 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 I really feel like that comes from Kugler and and him coming in and and making it his movie and I feel like or Taika Waititi even like Thor Ragnarok couldn't exist if you just didn't let Taika make and he didn't even write that movie so I can only imagine when he actually gets to co-write Thor Love and Thunder um what we're going to get from that right like that feels like a very taika waititi movie and he injected himself in it in enough to kind of re um rejuvenate that character and i just feel like as marvel's gone on they've let filmmakers you know put their unique spin on their characters and that's made them better for it right because i even feel like i remember this journey with you we've been uh, friends for the majority of the mcu and i was with you at a time where in phase two, I started to be like, I don't know. These all kind of feel the same. And like after the first well, Avengers Because they were all movie origin and, stories, yeah. right? And and I think after Avengers and then um, – which was an exciting moment. But then getting Age of Ultron, which looking back on Ultron, I actually don't think it's – and Iron Man 2. I don't think they're as bad as some people made them out to be uh, during that time. But I do feel like – of that time, we started to see the repetitiveness in these. And I'm so, so glad that I think starting with Iron Man 3, we really started to get, you know, uh, unique voices come in and put their spin and them being less protective of the characters, which I think really benefited that universe as a whole. And um, while when we get origin movies like Doctor Strange and Ant-Man, I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I, I barely remember um but it's usually the singular movies don't hit their stride until that third movie and like um the first two are always like mildly enjoyable like the origin story depending on the character is like oh that was a cool intro the second movies usually hit or miss right like with iron man 2 winter soldier um i mean thor dark world good lord um things like that um it's it, they're usually kind of like ah, he, I, oh they didn't really work and then the third movie where because the second movies were kind of you know hit or miss they let them go crazy on the third one and um that's why maybe i'm excited to see where ant-man 3 goes or even where multiverse of madness goes and things like that but i love the interconnectedness of it all i just really feel like they built up to some really great moments and it's exciting watching them again they all look great in 4k and dolby atmos and things like that so um, i will say two other things about uh, being more critical towards the the mcu and and this is less to do with the filmmaking than sort of the behind the scenes and and the people that work on these movies specifically uh how um you know, uh, Disney and Marvel maybe treat some of their, their filmmakers. Cause you look at someone like John Favreau, who kind of is the guy that spearheaded this whole thing with the first Iron Man movie. And I mean, the end credit scene with Nick Fury was supposed to be kind of a, mostly a, a joke or, or like a, a little Easter egg for, you know, fans of the Marvel cinematic or the Marvel comic book. So overall, but after Iron Man 2, like you could even tell, like with the interviews and the press junkets he was doing for that movie, he was burnt out by that point. And so was Joss Whedon by the time he got to uh, Age of Ultron. And he's been very, he had been very vocal about how that movie kind of, you know, exhausted him to a point creatively where he just needed to get out. And before that, 
you know, like when you hear him talk about working on the Avengers and comic books in general, I mean, even when you look at, uh, you know, Angel or Buffy, I mean, those were kind of the stepping stones for him to do something like this and sort of creating a shared universe. So I, I do wonder how, you know, maybe behind the scenes, how those filmmakers are treated. And I do worry about, you know, Ryan Coogler after the second Black Panther movie or even James Gunn. I mean, like that whole situation with him, with the tweets and the firing and rehiring. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a weird kind of place to be in when you're in the public eye, but also sort of trying to put something like that together and put your own stamp on it. And you're hearing like, okay, well you're hired to basically keep the, 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 the ship floating basically and, and keep it uh, the machinery going and if you add a little bit of your style in there that's fine but we want you to also you know look at the map overall of what we're putting together and you know make sure that we can get from point a to point b because this is you know bigger than you know your own sort of director's style or trademarks being implemented into the film um it's just yeah it's just kind of interesting in that way because i i do feel that like after a while and and this could also be the same thing with even dc like i mean patty jenkins seems to kind of be a little bit um sort of right now focused on what's going to happen with wonder woman 1984 but at the same time like you know people saying oh what are you going to do for part three well it's like you know, give her a Just break. Her, she, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Agree. She hasn't even gotten there yet. So, like, I do wonder how those movies kind of treat their filmmakers, and especially if it's a film that's a dud and might destroy a younger filmmaker's career or someone that might be coming up. I look because I look at someone like Colin Trevorrow, not with the the Marvel movies, but with Jurassic uh, World, and I'm like, okay, well, you or even Mark Webb with the Amazing Spider-Man movies is like those films kind of even though they were somewhat successful, they kind of dampered their, you know, career outside of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Once you get kind of put into a box even, or you do a couple. Yeah. Web's a weird, those are two great examples. And I see what you're saying. Um, you hope you do the old one for you, one for me kind of thing. But um, we've talked about that for a long time with Disney, hopefully using searchlight that way. But um that's what I would like to see. And I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but like using searchlight as that, okay, let's let filmmakers make, you know, the movies that they want to make over here and make one over here for us. If you want to scoop up that young talent, like you're talking about, but yeah, I do worry too. If you, if you do make a dud or, or something that people don't care about too much or, or something that critically flops, it can, you know, ruin your career in multiple ways or, you fail upward. I mean, um, Trevor is getting another shot with um, Dominion, which we have a piece of news of uh, later in the episode. But um, yeah, franchise filmmakings, I, it's probably where the money's at, right? So, I mean, if you, it's probably hard to turn down, you know, a big paycheck when you're probably getting paid nothing to make these uh, smaller indie movies, or you just made one small indie movie and then Marvel comes knocking and says, hey, we'll give you, you know, couple million dollars i forget what phil lord and chris miller when they tweeted when disney donated 10 million dollars um it was, was it five. 10 million? It five, was five million dollars and they said that's what you pay one of your directors for your movie and that's what you're uh, for one of your blockbusters so i mean if a five million dollar paycheck's coming the way to one of these guys it's hard to turn down right so and that disney thing as well was frustrating because that's like a penny to them in terms of like 
you know, they were donating to Black Lives Matter movements yeah. and and sort of, you know, wanting to be a part of that, which is fine. But when you donate five million dollars and you're a multi-billion dollar corporation, um, and then, you know, an hour later, Michael Jordan donates a hundred million dollars. Yeah. It's kind of like, it, I mean, we'll talk about this with Tiff. Like, you're, the timing is horrible, but it shows that, like, Disney could have donated probably at least two hundred million dollars, and they would have wouldn't have felt anything, anyways. You that's know, the chump uh, that's change a problem with Amazon with all these big companies, right? Bezos could cure world hunger in like two seconds and still be the richest man alive, right? But it's just. People are giving him shit because he tried to name the new Seattle arena that they own or something like that, the NHL arena that they're building, like the climate change arena or something. And they're like, motherfucker, you could like put your money where your mouth is. Like you, you are the richest person on the planet. You could solve so much of this shit. And like, I mean, I give shout out to Bill Gates who, who, um, I mean, is one of the richest men alive, but he gives a vast uh, amount of his fortune away. Away, and I think he even has a. Uh, I might be speaking out of my ass, but I remember talking about this with Nevis. Is this like I think he has in his will that when he dies, like ninety nine percent of his fortune goes to charity, and one percent goes to his his children. But that one percent going to his children is still an insane amount of money. Right. So it's just like they'll be set for the rest of their lives, I'm sure, with that one percent, um, which is bananas. So, um, but I see what you're saying. Um, and then on top of that, I also watched um, uh, both Abrams' uh, Star Trek movies because uh, the boys over at uh, Kind of Funny are doing uh, Star Trek in review the Kelvin verse movies, not all of the star Trek motion pictures. So I rewatched, uh, the original star Trek, which I think is, is fantastic and probably Abrams best, best film. Um, and that's coming from someone who loves star Wars, um, and loves force awakens and enjoyed rise of Skywalker. Um, but I do really think that 2009 star Trek movie is very, very special. Um, and then into darkness, I'm not super hot on, I don't think it's the worst. Um, I just think that con reveal is absolutely stupid. And, um, a lot of the plot doesn't make a ton of sense, but it's a somewhat entertaining movie. And it's got Peter Weller in there. So yeah, Peter Weller is great. Um, I will give him that. Uh, and I think that's it. I, I replayed the last of us again. Um, I should have mentioned this in the, in the housekeeping stuff up front, but I will be recording a spoiler cast for the last of us part two, uh, with our friends over at the movie podcast. Um, so I'll be recording that, uh, tomorrow and I believe it drops on Canada day. Um, and I will make sure to, you know, send that link out everywhere when that posts. So I played the last of us for a second time. So I've beaten it twice now. Um, and I also uh, went back and got all of the collectibles. So I platinumed the game, which means you've done every single thing you can in the game. So they give you all the PlayStation trophies, which I never usually do because I never care about that shit. But uh, I've been so obsessed with this game. Um, two full playthroughs uh, that just for a game that is tough to tough to watch and tough to play because it is an intense game. Um, but yeah, two, two playthroughs, almost 60 hours worth of playing that game. I think I'm going to put it, put it down for now, um, until they do some sort of, you know, 
whether they do more story stuff or they do some multiplayer stuff or um uh i i got the art book i've been looking through that so i've been all in and and i've tweeted out my couple the cast of us uh list so i've been obsessing over the craig mazin um neil Druckmann hbo show uh that they'll be doing um I've been thinking about that a lot, Eric. I'm like, fuck, I said Nikolai Coster Waldo just because I saw that photo, but I keep going back to my boy Josh Brolin, which I know a lot of people have been pushing for. And I think it has to be Brolin in my mind because that's who I originally thought of like seven years ago when I thought of the first game. And I just feel like Brolin would absolutely crush it. Um, did you watch that video I sent you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, that video is incredible too. I, I retweeted a video that um, edits uh, some of the first game, mostly at the end of the first game um, and a lot of the second game into a wonderfully edited um, kind of, that would be my pitch video if I ever needed to, you know, I, I'm sure that's maybe what they showed something like that to HBO when they were working on this game. Um, but uh, shout out to, I got to get the, his name because the video um, was wonderfully edited together and um, and I think shows you uh, the emotional kind of gut punch that that um, that, that game, uh, both games are. So it's called Ellie, uh, The Last of Us. And it's I, I retweeted it. Neil Druckmann also retweeted it. And it's by uh, Slifer2812. Um, so shout out to him because that video was uh, was excellent. So that's we'll what I've been Keep on brolin, brolin, brolin. Yeah, and you said you watched it and you said you are excited for the HBO show. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just from everything as well that you've been talking about and kind of, I mean, you've basically become the last of us, the 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 hype man, the pitch man. Yeah, no. I, I feel like I you should, work should on try to PR reach campaign. out to Neil Bruckman and do uh, do an interview. You know, like mm-hmm. if anybody is qualified to talk to him about the game and the mechanics and, and what There's have great, you, I think it'd be fun. I appreciate that. Um, again, I love the guys over at kind of funny. Uh, Greg Miller um, did a wonderful spoiler cast with Neil Druckmann, um, Ashley Johnson and, and Troy Baker um, who played Joel and Ellie. Um, and it's uh, two, I think almost two hours of them talking about everything in the game. And um, I haven't listened to it yet uh, because I want to record my own spoiler cast before I kind of, you know, uh, get inceptioned and, and, and listen to other people's thoughts on it. And especially from Druckmann and, and the actors and stuff like that, I kind of want to just chat with the guys first. And then I plan on listening to that, but everyone says it's a, a fantastic interview and, and spoiler cast with everyone, but I would love to talk to Druckmann. I think when the HBO show, um, starts ramping up, uh, I think maybe that's more, um, when me and you should jump in and maybe try to uh, reach out to the, the bell people here and, and, and do some content on that. I'll probably even I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll probably, whether it's uh, Eric, I would love to do this with you, but I know we're busy doing all of this other stuff. Um, doing like a specific last of us HBO show podcast where we record one after every episode. And that's what I want to do. And I, I know a lot of people do those kind of react, um, episode recap kind of things and i think i i definitely have to do that for this show whenever it comes out yeah i'd be down uh i mean we tried to do that with uh the mandalorian but yeah kind of- i know <laughs> yeah i know like like most things but i think with the last of us show being 
uh, yeah, I think I would definitely do that on a weekly basis for that show. So I'm excited. I don't know how they're going to tackle it. Um, I assume they're going to adapt the stories from both games, but um, whether they're expanded or they blow them out a little bit or I don't know, but I'm, I'm excited nonetheless. Uh, anything else uh, on your end that you watched? Oh, you know it. Uh, I guess spinning off from uh, one superhero franchise to another, um, Joel Schumacher uh, just passed away uh, at the age of 80, obviously best known for movies like St. Elmo's Fire and The Lost Boys and obviously uh, the later two Batman movies in the 90s, um, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, the ones where Batman has atomically correct nipples on the suit, uh, the thing that he got shit for and was obviously sort of put into that group of being a uh, horrible, hacky filmmaker, which to some degree, I mean, he was. He was never really an auteur filmmaker, but at the same time, there was this kind of underlying sort of appreciation for him just going all out and just kind of being as big and stylish and flamboyant as, as possible as a filmmaker. And I mean, he even started not as a director, but as a costume designer for the last of Sheila, which is a great kind of whodunit murder mystery that Ryan Johnson was very much inspired by when he was making uh, knives out. And then, you know, writing movies like uh car wash and then, you know, eventually kind of becoming a director with the incredible uh, shrinking woman with Lily Tomlin, who was the voice of uh, Miss Frizzle in the nineties version of, um, uh, Magic School Bus, among other, you know, great movies and, and TV shows like Nashville and things like that. Um, so he had a, a very kind of interesting career. And obviously the other thing, the, the, the name actor that he's responsible for introducing to, uh, the film world was Colin Farrell with Tigerland and, uh, Phone Booth and Phone Booth being a script by, uh, uh, Larry Cohen. So, you know, he always kind of was in the genre sort of canon. Um, I rewatched Batman Forever, not because of, of Joel Schumacher's passing, which was a couple of days afterwards, but it was the 25th anniversary of Batman Forever, which oh, I was kind of. <laughs> I know, I know, because I remember. I'm, I'm sure you're in the same situation, in the same sort of camp where seeing that in the theater was kind of a big deal, and that was sort of like peak Jim Carrey hysteria with him playing the Riddler and uh, you know Michael Keaton sort of vanquishing the the cape and cowl and passing it over to Val, to Kilmer, Val Kilmer who's probably, who's probably the wor- one of the worst Batman I mean Clooney's not great either but I think Clooney like almost at one point in his life was closer to Bruce Wayne than any of the other actors who have played right. uh, uh, Batman in, in, in the past but watching the film Matt um, nostalgic goggles removed I think it's pretty horrible still and oh yeah uh, it definitely is I mean I have a I again I do have a nostalgic soft spot for both forever and Batman and Robin but uh, it is they're terrible don't get me wrong but yeah. yeah, and like even the stuff with Jim Carrey, like I know a lot of people will be like, oh, well, Jim Carrey's, you know, really funny as Edward Nigma. I think he's awful in, in, really? in the film. It's He's yeah. terrible. Like I think the whole movie, I think this is worse than Batman and Robin because Batman and Robin, and I, I might have talked about this before or on Movie Monarchy, I think Batman Forever is a worse movie because it's middle of the road and boring. Yes. Visually speaking, it brought in the kind of neon lighting and things like nipples. that. And y- yeah. Well, nipples and like, in uh, this one. 
nipples are in both Batman Forever and uh, Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is still an awful movie, but I think it's more self-aware and sort of playing yeah, I agree. Up the camp of it. And like hearing Schwarzenegger, you know, deliver some of the most out there lines and punny lines as Mr. Freeze is kind of funny. And it's just odd that that was the casting choice where like you look at Mr. Freeze in the comic books and the animated series, which was on at that point and think, okay, someone like Patrick Stewart or David Strathairn would have been perfect. But Joel Schumacher's top two choices were Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone in a movie when you also have Bane in the film, and it's like, okay, well, maybe they would have been better as the Bane type. Bane, yeah, yeah. yeah so, it, but anyways, going back to Batman Forever, I think the soundtrack is the best thing. Obviously, Seal and U2 and, and Elliot uh, Goldenthal's score. But watching the film, I mean, like, it, it's still one of the, the the worst comic book movies and was the beginning of the end for the comic book sort of – I don't want to say resurgence because obviously, you know, Superman was in the, in the late seventies and, and Batman 89 was kind of the thing that a lot of people were starting to be like, okay, maybe we should option some of these comic books. And, you know, Canon had Spider-Man at that point, James Cameron was thinking of directing it. Um, but it kind of was almost like the beginning of the end of such a short lived comic book movie, uh, universe or universes being explored because you had things like you know the Phantom with Billy Zane or the Spawn uh, Tom McFarlane Spawn adaptation and and Steel with Shaquille O'Neal or the Shadow with Alec yeah. Baldwin and all those movies were trying to kind of capitalize on the success of I guess both Batman '89 and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and it kind of was like Batman and Robin was the ultimate nail in the coffin but yeah I I, I don't think it's a very good movie nostalgia aside but i also watched um falling down with with michael douglas um which is the original white male rage joker movie of uh the 90s i would not be surprised if todd phillips pitched joker not as or not only as uh taxi driver meets the king of comedy but also falling down um michael douglas plays this um sort of hostile uh, aggressive uh, ex-military guy who nothing is is right and goes on a rampage in the streets of LA on a very hot and seedy kind of day and sort of complains about what what's wrong with the world and everybody in it and it, it kind of feels a little bit like one of those like old man yelling at the cloud kind of thing but I think the style and Douglas's performance and Robert Duvall's performances are so good and it kind of just is an interesting sort of artifact of the mid nineties that it's worth checking out. And I actually think it is Michael Douglas at that point, trying to break out of doing the seedier type roles that he was kind of being put into starting with the late eighties and fatal attraction. We talked about this on draft 69 and it was him trying to be a little bit more less sexy and more kind of just disgruntled. Um, and he's good. He he is good. And it's one again one of those movies that I think would actually pair well with something like Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers, where it's just kind of completely gonzo and out there. But he just yeah. made me also appreciate that like 
Joel Schumacher has made some movies that I I do think are good. Like I think The Lost Boys is a very solid, well-made vampire film with great cinematography by one of Scorsese's regular cinematographers, Michael Ballhouse. Um, I I actually really like Phone Booth quite a bit in terms of single location movies. We talked Same, about it yeah. on the uh, uh, 1700 uh, episode a little bit. And again, it was just cool seeing that he was working with uh, Larry Cohen's script. And at that point, Larry Cohen had this weird obsession with phones because he was also the writer or at least story uh, credited to him for the Jason Statham, uh, Chris Evans movie, if you remember that, Cellular, uh, where yeah. everything is sort of phone-based. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a shame just hearing you know him passing away. And even though he hadn't really done anything since that horrible Nick Cage movie with Nicole Kidman, uh, uh, Trespass, he had done a couple tiff. episodes. Uh, yep, he had done a couple episodes of um, House of Cards and things like that. But he hadn't really made a feature in a while. So yeah, uh, rest in peace. I, I do want to go back and watch those uh, his Batman movie. I, I think I will. I'll probably do a Batman rewatch of all the, you know, both Keaton Batmans and, and the Schumacher ones, everything but the Nolan movies, probably. Um, I guess just the 90s Batman movies. I would love, eight, well, late 80s and 90s uh, Batman movies, I think would be fun. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on the show. Uh, anything else, my dude? Yeah, I have a couple of reviews up at Rogers TV uh, right now for uh, Shannon Murphy's Baby Teeth, which I think is a really solid um, sort of uh, quirky version of the young adult um, sort of tragedy stricken uh, narrative, you know, like a false uh, in, in, in the stars kind of thing or a Nicholas Sparks adaptation, but it's not based on a, a book. Uh, Eliza Scanlon is fantastic in this movie as a, a young girl who um, is, is dying of cancer, even though they're not specific on what type of cancer it is. It's assumed that it is uh, breast cancer and, um, she falls in love with this kind of she's a high uh, a high schooler and an all girls school she falls in love with uh, a little bit of an older drug dealer played by a uh, newcomer and kind of a bit of a revelation toby wallace because he basically looks like someone that harmony corinne just basically wrote into reality um which is funny talking about that because shannon murphy did uh, a podcast interview with april wolf on switchblade sisters and her film that she discussed was spring breakers so it kind of makes perfect sense that she would kind of be in the interested in sort of the sort of veering off the path of of sort of you know typical life ben mendelson and se davis are also in the movie as uh, eliza scanlon's parents they're really great um hammer is a solid little uh canadian thriller um from director and writer christian sparks uh it stars mark o'brien and will Patton. uh it's only 82 minutes long and it actually moves by very quickly and in this frantic pace and kind of feels almost like it's paying homage to um both Ozark more recently and the place beyond the pines, but it kind of is a little bit more streamlined if there are more coincidences throughout the narrative that kind of maybe don't work all the time. Um, but it's worth checking out if, if you're into, you know, kind of like a on the run kind of thriller and, and a movie that moves pretty quickly and also is only 82 minutes. Nice. Always a, a plus. Um, I saw one question. Uh, how Jaws look on 4k? 
Okay, so I picked up Jaws on 4K, and I didn't want to get into it too much because I've talked about Jaws many, many times. But I know, I just want to know. It looked amazing on 4K. Like, this is one of those movies that if you are a physical media collector, or even if you're not, like, this would be the one I would recommend owning a a copy of, or if you want to sort of buy it from iTunes or whatever on 4K, go for it. It's, It's worth the uh the time and money because this is i mean it's it's one of the greatest movies ever made in my opinion and and still holds up even now but they put a lot of time and effort into this transfer and you can't always say that with uh the 4k upgrades especially when it comes to movies that are in the in kind of in the rush and movies that are kind of put out as as you know soon as an anniversary comes up but this edition is fantastic and probably the quintessential version of jaws uh to own wicked i'm excited um i haven't picked it up yet i don't know if the itunes version has been upgraded yet i know in the u.s i think i heard some people say it was but um i'm i haven't watched it in quite a while so uh looking forward to that uh cool all right um you want to move on to some staying at home i can give uh some picks for my digital picks of the week Uh, i'll just fly through these i don't really need to go into too much detail on them uh but on uh, apple tv you can pick up these wonderful 4k movies for pretty cheap you can pick up little women uh for ten dollars uh good boys for ten dollars uh airplane for five dollars uh, game night for seven dollars tag for seven dollars the nice guys for ten dollars uh midsummer uh for seven dollars hereditary for seven dollars and love simon uh for ten dollars uh all in 4k um all under ten dollars i think some pretty good deals there uh some movies better than others but um tag was a pleasant surprise to me i thought it was pretty good so that's why i threw it in there uh, Eric, what are your physical picks of the week? You you love Jeremy uh, Renner's digital arms. Yeah, love it. Uh, so I'll also kind of be quick on this. Uh, one, I want to spend a, uh, just maybe a quick second on, but uh, Criterion uh, is has already released Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is uh, the neon release, the Celine Siama film from last year. Uh, beautiful gothic romance that's bittersweet, amazing performances, incredible direction. Um, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. If you have, uh, definitely worth picking this uh, this version up. Um, and then also a film that has kind of been one of the most anticipated and requested movies um, that Criterion had yet to put out on uh, physical media, but had popped up quite a bit recently on their streaming service, which is Come and See, which is a World War II uh, Russian set story that is one of the most bleakest films I have ever seen about a young boy who enlists into Stalin's army uh, against uh the german nazis and how he is too young but lies about his age and sees war from a point of view that um you know innocence is corrupted but at the same time it pounds you down to the ground and i know that maybe it sounds like oh i don't w- really want to watch that because it's it's so devastating but it's one of those films that if you are a lover of international cinema of 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 history and of movies that do not you know, that are basically saying like, okay, we're not going to pull any punches and we're going to show you the devastating aspects of what uh, a war is, especially on 
you know, civilians, this is the film to see. And there are moments and visuals in that movie that I remember seeing in film school that have still haunted my mind, my dreams. And, you know, like, this is like, this is why international cinema is so essential because as much as we love talking about, you know, uh, English language films and, you know, big studio movies, getting something like this is so sobering. And even now, because I mean, this film was made in the 1980s, it still has this amazing uh, relevance and doesn't feel dated and, and just gets into your skin and your bones and your being in a way that you just, you need to see it to believe it. And uh, I would highly recommend that. And then the last movie, uh, which is being released through Vinegar Syndrome, is Paul Schrader's Patty Hearst, um, which is getting its first uh, uh, Blu-ray release. Um, this is about Patty Hearst, played by uh, Natasha Richardson, who would go on to work with Paul Schrader again in uh, Comfort of Strangers. Uh, that's also getting a Blu-ray release in August through Criterion. Um, this is about Patty Hearst being uh, kidnapped and brainwashed and sort of from her point of view, uh, and very experimental at times, uh, basically sort of shot and seen through her in one location and cooped up in this pantry. Uh, amazing performance by Natasha Richardson, very experimental by Paul Schrader in uh, the late 80s. And this was at a time where he was still kind of considered one of the the bigger names in independent cinema. He had also uh, co-written The Last Temptation of Christ around this point. So uh, this is definitely one um, worth checking out. And the reason why I wanted to kind of quickly kind of mention it, there's another Patty Hearst story that's getting a theatrical release this week that uh, played at TIFF last year called American Woman, where Sarah Gadden plays Patty Hearst, but it's not about Patty Hearst. It's about a caretaker played by Hong Chow who isn't a real person. She's a fictional uh, character, but basically kind of sets out on a road journey with Patty Hearst. And unfortunately, I never felt that that film ever kind of got into the subject matter it really wanted to. It looks good. The actors are decent throughout, but it just is kind of an infuriating watch. And especially when it's trying to expose the hypocrisy of even uh, this sort of uh, domestic terrorist organization, the the weather underground uh, type. So um, if you want to see a really solid sort of take on the Patty Hearst story, rent by patty hurst which is available through vinegar syndrome starting uh this tuesday cool uh moving on to some trailers not only some trailers there's a giant list of trailers that we have in the last week where i feel like we had a dry spell for the longest time and now we're starting to see i guess as you know cinemas are supposed to be starting to uh open again um we're starting to get trailers for all of these films that are supposedly uh, coming out to cinemas, some on streaming services and things like that. I'll, I'll run through everything, Eric, and then you you jump in and say uh, where you want to start. So we have trailers for sure. uh, Hamilton, Animal Crackers, Greenland, uh, Ava, Waiting for the Barbarians, The Kingsman, Palm Springs, Soul, The Rental, Broken Hearts Gallery, Brave New World, Muppets Now, Unsolved Mysteries, and Foundation. Uh, some TV shows in there, some movies, some streaming, some theatrical. Eric, where do you want to start? 
Well, uh, let's start with Hamilton, one, because it's on the top, and also because it will be available starting Next uh, July 3rd, which originally the plan was it was supposed to come out uh, in the fall of 2021. So that's kind of interesting. And and also, I mean, you saw the uh, Toronto theater version right around the time when the pandemic was starting to close things down. Yeah, I saw it the night before they declared in a pandemic and then by i saw it tuesday uh wednesday they announced the pandemic i stayed home from work thursday friday just out of my own fuck this and then we everyone was uh at home starting the next week so and everything was shut down so um yeah i mean this is exciting um i think obviously for people who are huge fans of the show um, are, are pretty psyched about this, but I think for a lot of people who might not live in a major city where Hamilton was touring or weren't able to ever go to New York to go see it, which is obviously a very pr- privileged thing to do in both of those situations. So um, having it accessible to everyone now with a, a, a very reasonable Disney plus subscription, I think is super exciting. Um, I love the way um they did it. It's obviously for those of you that don't know, this isn't a a Hamilton movie per se, but it is a live recording of the Broadway, um, uh, show with the original cast. Um, but they shot it in a way where, um, I don't know whether they shot multiple shows or this is all from one show, but, um, obviously cutting to different camera angles. The sound seems like it's going to be great. Um, I saw the show from the very last row, so up in the nosebleeds. Um, so I'm excited to see it, you know, and see the facial expressions on people, uh, hear it crystal clear. I really enjoyed it from uh, when I went to go see it. Uh, so I can only imagine what it's going to be like, uh, basically with a front row seat. So um, I think this is great. I mean, they need stuff on Disney Plus. Um, they're I, I'm not. I won't say that they're struggling, but we're getting a lot of you know behind the scenes docu-series which seems like they're you know glorified special features that are being dragged out into which i've heard the frozen one is excellent uh the mandalorian one was great but we're kind of missing that original content and i know we reviewed artemis fowl which they also moved from theatrical to disney plus and they've done that with a few other things but uh, I think with the delays in production on some of their Marvel shows and, and and things like that, I do think we'll get Mandalorian, you know, in in November or something like that. Um, but they definitely need content, and I think getting Hamilton on there is a big thing. And I, I I dug this trailer; it looks like it's the stage show. I mean, it is the stage show, but I like the way that they shot it. Um, and I'm excited to revisit it. We'll review it next week. Yeah, I, I'm curious to to watch it as well. I, I don't know if I've talked about this much, but in terms of 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 art and and sort of watching and reviewing, the one thing I'm not as uh, sort of uh, familiar with or or comfortable with, like you comfortable know, with um, sort of reviewing because I'm 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 not really as knowledgeable in that world is 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 theater. I just never like I I even in high school actually took theater, but from the video point of view and marketing point of view of of like you know working on Annie. But um in terms of like actually going to the theater, I think I maybe went once in the last 15 years and that was a version of Sweeney Todd Um, so I would be curious to watch it and I'm not always the biggest fan of uh, theater adaptations into films because like the common criticism that you'll get with with that is that 
it looks very stagey or like you can tell that it came from, you know, the stage to the screen um, in terms of, you know, not being able to adapt or invent or sort of figure out a way to make it uh, unique to the new iteration that you're trying to sort of put together. But I will be curious about this just on a editing and production point of view to see how the the show is kind of put together. Now, is this almost three hours long? It should be because the show is that long and they, um, it is, I think they're not editing anything out of the show. So whatever you look at the length of the production is on, you know, on Broadway or when it was here in Toronto, which I believe was close to three hours. Um, they said when it was in theaters, they were going to do a 10 minute in- intermission. Um, here they're doing a one minute intermission on the Disney plus version. Um, so it probably will be, you know, cut into, uh, you know, an hour and a half chunks almost, um, with a one minute intermission. Um, which I, I, the, the musical flows really, really well. I think it's super entertaining. I definitely suggest you guys watch it even before reviewing it. I mean, Eric and I will do an official review, but just from seeing the stage show, it does live up to the hype. Like even for someone uh, who doesn't really care about American history or, you know, American politics in general, um, I felt it was highly engaging and, and the musical numbers and the, and the, and the production design and stuff like that are really, really top notch and um, just a really unique take on that subject matter, even if you don't love the subject matter. So um, I think it's an interesting thing. And I think like, like you mentioned, sometimes when you adapt these shows into uh, actual, you know, take them into films, uh, they don't work super well, but just sh- shooting a stage production, like the actual Broadway production as you know, this hybrid movie live stage show kind of thing. I'm, I'm curious to see how that kind of translates. And, and like you mentioned how they deal with the editing and it it seems like it will be mostly unedited. However, um, they are editing a couple of the F bombs that they drop in the show because uh, uh, they wanted a PG 13 rating and the MPAA is very strict on. If you have one more than one fuck in your show, um, you automatically get, or in your movie, you automatically get an R rating. Um, so Lin-Manuel Miranda tweeted out this week being like, Hey, I had to make some concessions, but I want it. I want it to be available to everyone and I want kids to be able to watch it. Um, so I let them edit out a couple of the, the, there's only like four F bombs in the show and they had to censor three of them and they allowed one of them. So, um, there will be one f-bomb and he he went into detail of which ones they edited or have a record scratch or something in there uh, which i i don't think is a huge deal i think maybe purists of the show and huge fans are probably mad at that but i mean who cares really um, at least he's aware of it as well because disney in the last little bit disney plus specifically has been undermining some of their content right with, with editing, uh, editing cleavage or butts or something or swearing with movies like splash and the adventures of babysitting and you know the filmmakers and the cast and crew that made those movies were unaware of those edits or changes where with this at least you know lin-manuel miranda approved is, it you know approving it and and so there is a difference there and yeah you might not agree with it i don't agree with censorship and i think that that whole rating system is is flawed well, i think it's more on the mpaa than, yeah, yeah that's a whole other discussion in itself i think that's more i think if the mpaa would be like okay you know what it has four 
four F-bombs in it, but you know, there's nothing that can't be PG-13 in this entire show. Um, if they were to allow it, then I'm sure Disney would have put it up uncensored, but I think it's the MPAA's strict rules on, you know, fucking swearing, which is stupid. Um, but I'm excited to watch it. And the, the trailer, uh, looks like it's just going to be a really good, you know, um, representation of that show. Uh, do you want to just go down this list as I have it? Uh, animal crackers. Did you watch that trailer? No, I did not. (laughs) It looked very generic. We don't really need to talk about it, uh, much more. Um, it's a Netflix film, animated film about, uh, starring John Krasinski, um, and Emily Blunt and, and Danny DeVito oh, and good and, news then, huh? <laughs> um, uh, uh-huh. uh, a lot of big names in it. I just felt like it looked incredibly generic. Uh, Danny DeVito again, playing someone involved in a circus. Um, I don't know why they just com- like keep doing that. Um, I don't know. It's about like magical animal crackers where if you eat them, it turns you into the animal that you eat. And, I don't know. It looked like one of those very generic kids movies where there's a bat, a, a very obvious evil bad guy who wants the animal cra- crackers to, you know, control and the world and, and, and conquer the world. Um, I don't know. It does nothing for me. Uh, I'll just wait for Animorphs, the movie yeah. to come out. Uh, the Gerard Butler film Greenland uh, got a trailer this week. <laughs> Eric, did you watch this? I it sure looks, did. It looks absolutely ridiculous, and I'm in. I'm in. Um, it's it, it's basically it, it's it's a kind of deep a impact kind of uh, geostorm companion. Yeah, geostorm. Yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a minute here to be a little bit upset with the internet. I'm disappointed in the internet because when I saw this trailer, I thought it was ridiculous, and I was like. Does this have to get a theatrical release to, you know, to be experienced? But the thing that disappointed me with the internet is that nobody photoshopped a poster of Gerard Butler's smiling face at the Golden Globes on the meteor from Deep Impact and changed the name to Greenland because that would be the perfect poster. I mean, we can do that. We can find someone to do that for you. Um I showed this to Nevis because she loves disaster movies and she was just like, I am a hundred percent in on this. And I was like, yes, we are going to watch Greenland and it's probably going to be terrible, but I'm all in. Um, so, I mean, not much else to say. It looks like, you know, Olympus has fallen, but with a disaster uh, movie element, it's like Roland Emmerich uh, instead of doing white house down, you know what the point I'm trying to make. It's a disaster movie. He made Olympus Has Fallen, Roland Emmerich made White House Down, but now Gerard Butler's doing a disaster right, same movie. Same thing with Armageddon and Deep Impact coming out in the same year and being about basically the same thing. We have a similar situation where now we have both uh, Geostorm and Greenland. And it's funny when like they were mentioning Greenland because I know it's obviously Iceland and Greenland is different, but I was thinking about like downsizing specifically where like they're all heading into uh, those caves sure. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, it, it's like about a catastrophic event on Earth where like uh, meteors are, are hitting the Earth and Gerard Butler's trying to get his family to Greenland, which is the only safe space, I think. I don't know. Um, you know what would be a better version of this movie or a, a version I would really like to see is one where like you have this one guy who is so you know dogged about saving his family and getting his family into uh you know, these bunkers, right? And like, there's one scene where, you know, the, the, 
the meteors are coming down and hitting this highway and his car is the only car that kind of drives off and sort of is doing that action sequence kind of thing where it's trying to get away. I want to see where like there are five hero leads in one movie, all of which have to get to the same bunker and it's like only one family can get, but like you have Jared Butler, Tom Cruise. Yeah, every it's like I gotta say Harrison Ford, I gotta save my family, and it's like this rat race style event to uh You're on to something. Yeah, because I think it would be funny because it's like why does Jared Butler why is he the guy that is going to save his family where I'm sure there are other people that have either military backgrounds or you know are are great drivers could get to where they need to go as well. Like why is this the one person? <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that idea of taking Rat Race in some ridiculous disaster movie and having this bunker. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, I dig that. I, I think that you're on to something there. Um, moving on to Tate Taylor's uh, Ava, or Ava, um, with Jessica, Jessica Chastain, um, and John Malkovich, and Colin, uh, Colin Farrell, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. This looks like every generic... Uh, assassin kind of movie. Um, well, it had a know. troubled production as well. Um, yeah. So the original director, um, I'm just looking this up now, uh, Matthew Newton uh, stepped down because of uh, domestic uh, violence um, charges in the past. So Tate Taylor came in to direct the movie uh, afterwards. Yeah. It, it's, it's also kind of like, I don't want to sort of judge a movie based on, the studio that's releasing it or even the studio releasing a film like this. But it is kind of funny that you have Ava being released by vertical uh, entertainment, which is the same company that also released Capone uh, a couple months ago with Tom Hardy. So it's like every lawless actor is going to be in one of these like really cheap sort of uh, B movie versions of films that would be playing in theaters. Because when you look at this cast and you look at uh, the plot, I mean, a lot of people also made reference to, you know, Luke Besson, on films, which also yeah. a very problematic filmmaker right now. And we'll be talking about another one uh, in a second. Um, but yeah, like this seems like on paper, this would be like a perfect kind of like summer escapist kind of film. And now this is like, you know, a direct to streaming DTV kind of movie. And like, again, uh, nothing against the company. Cause I really like the people here in Canada, but like VVS is releasing it in Canada and it's like <laughs> VVS always releasing those direct to video, uh, Nick Cage and Bruce Willis movies. And now it's like, this is kind of like a little bit higher on the echelon, but maybe not by much. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you pretty much nailed it. Yeah. It does not look super great. Uh, next up waiting for the barbarians problematic uh, again. Yeah. Uh, so did you hear about this that the um and it's a shame because i i not that it's a shame that like oh like i feel bad that this person is a is a horrible person but um two of the films that this guy directed i'm I'm looking up his name now to pronounce properly um the director of birds of passage and embrace of the serpent um kiro uh guerrera um was just accused by eight women of uh, uh, sexual harassment and abuse uh, as this movie that played at Venice, Venice again, Venice, you know, allowing people like Roman Polanski and this guy to come in and, and uh, Nate Parker uh, to play their movies. 
uh, which is a shame because I, I really did like those That's two true. films. I didn't, I didn't realize that. So uh, yeah, or yeah. else I would have probably just left this off here, but um, and then also thank- Johnny Depp being in it as well. It's kind of like, which ugh. is a confusing, problematic thing too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then let's not even go into it. That's, that's garbage. But um, yeah, um, I, I didn't know that. Thank you for bringing that up, Eric. Um, next up the Kingsman. So we got a new trailer for the Kingsman. Um, or is it the King's man? The King's man. Uh, I'm into this. I mean, if you're a, a fan of those movies, I think, I think it very much looks like a, you know, an extension of that, uh, of that franchise. This one being a prequel. Um, I, I think the cast is dope. If, if they don't play um, Rasputin while they're phony Rasputin, Yeah. Then they're, <laughs> I will be upset. I will, I will be upset if they don't take advantage of this and play Boney M's um, Rasputin while they're fighting Rasputin. So um, I don't know. I, oh, I mean, it looks like Russians. Yeah. Uh, it looks like a Kingsman movie. I, I like the cast. I think it looks very stylish and um, um, I love seeing Ray Fiennes in anything really. So uh, seeing Daniel Bruhl in there as well. And um, I, I, I'm in. But I know you're not a huge fan of the franchise, so I'm sure. You yeah, I mean, they're they're OK. They're they're fine. You know, Bond knockoff movies. I, I there are things about both of them I like. And then there are things that I don't like. And specifically, it's Mark Millar's sort of Kinda. immature sense of humor that always. And I've talked about this at length in the yeah, past that gets in the way of, of the filmmaking, because I do think there are some genuinely, you know, fun moments. But then, like, you know, you look at that that one sequence uh in in kingsman part two that it's kind of like it's a little icky so i wonder what the maturity level of this movie will be and i'm hoping maybe it'll be a little bit more respectable but who knows? i don't know because i know they're getting away from the source material right like i don't think mark millar ever did like a prequel series like this i could be wrong someone correct me if i am um but maybe as you know matthew vaughn distances himself a little bit from mark millar then maybe he can eliminate some of that kind of uh i I, obviously matthew vaughn's a fan by doing kick-ass and now the kingsman ones but um i think you can hopefully like you said, find a balance of like, I'm not saying you can't include raunchiness and violence and, and some juvenile humor at times, but there are some icky moments, I think in both those first two movies that make them hard to really, you know, get behind. Um, especially in that second one there, I know the scene at the, the music festival that you're talking about, that is not, yeah. not good, <laughs> not good at all. Um, but I, 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 that being said, I like Matthew Vaughn. I like that franchise. I, it'll be interesting to see them go to that time period and, and mess around. Gemma Archerton is in it as well. Um, next up, uh, Palm Springs, which is the big pickup uh, uh, from Neon at uh, Sundance, right? Um, yes. With the, the Lonely Island film with Andy Samberg and... Um, Oh my god, I'm blanking on her name, but she was in Christine uh, uh, Mil- Milani, I Milani? believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, from the of Wolf a- of Wall Street and and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah, uh, uh, I know from How I Met Your Mother, and um, I think she's big in on in the Broadway scene as well. I think. Uh, anyways, uh, Palm Springs, kind of a, a Groundhog Day situation, kind of a Happy Death Day kind of thing, but in a uh, kind of a romantic comedy kind of thing as well uh i'm i'm all in on this as well coming out (coughs) excuse me on hulu in the u.s we don't know where it's coming out here in canada yet if at all but 
Yeah, um, both both Shirley and and uh, Palm Springs are two films through Neon that are are because Shirley was originally going to be released by Elevation Pictures. Um, now it's kind of in this weird limbo where I've heard things, but I don't want to confirm or deny sort of where it could land or when. And it's it's weird because I, I I've seen Shirley and I like Shirley a lot, and I have a review, but it's just kind of like one of those things where it's in limbo, and it's kind of like I'm just waiting until like it gets a you know some sort of release. Um, and it's the same thing with Palm Springs. There's nobody that has it here in Canada yet, but I have a screener link for it, and I'm sure we could review it for this show because i mean this this isn't just you know based in or for canadians it's just a you know podcast online so anybody could listen to it anywhere um but yeah you know we'll we'll keep people updated in canada though that you know if it gets a canadian release date i i, I hope it does I, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun i'm kind of a sucker for that formula even though like it's been done so much since groundhog day and like obviously you had just recently revisited uh, Edge of Tomorrow as well. Another one, and uh, and the movie obviously references all that, and I think it's it, it's playing in that meta nature of what's happening. And I I don't know, I love Andy Samberg, I like the Lonely Island guys, and uh, for Neon to spend so much money on this, I think, and then interesting that they're now dropping it on Hulu, but um, uh, but they've I'm been excited. releasing a lot of their stuff on VOD since. Um, the pandemic closed theaters. So you have things, documentaries like The Painter and the Thief, Spaceship Earth, um, now this, all getting some for, and surely some getting some form of streaming uh, release. So yeah. it's, and we'll be talking about them coming up as well with TIFF because one of the the, the movies announced in, in, in the 50 films is uh, a, a release of theirs. For sure. Um, quickly, uh, new, like one minute teaser for, uh, Pixar's soul. Um, I still think that this looks wonderful. Um, uh, I'm totally in, it got pushed to November, correct, Eric? It sure did, Matt. It sure did. Uh, Did you dig this? I mean, it's more of the same. There's not too much uh, more to talk about, but I think it looks lovely. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm into this as well. It's, it's funny because my, uh, my brother Kyle, um, is going through uh, the Pixar movies right now. He's been rewatching was, uh, them and Alex ranking Green, them. Right? Alex. Yeah, so, so they're probably kind of tangentially kind of working through the series. Yeah, and Alex he keeps me, sending me. Yeah, um, sorry to cut you off, but I want to do that after I'm finished the MCU thing because I haven't gone back and rewatched a lot of Pixar stuff in a very long time. Sorry, continue. Oh, no, no problem. Uh, so I'm looking at Kyle's list right now and where he's at. Uh, he's afraid to watch Toy Story 4 because he feels Toy Story 3 had such a perfect ending that oh, it's like... he refused to see it, right? Didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And so he's now kind of like contemplating whether or not to, to watch it. But like, I'll just read his, his top five. So his number one is Toy Story 2. His number two is Monsters, Inc. His wow. number three is Toy Story 3. His number four is Toy Story. His number five is Up. Wow, interesting list. I'm I'm curious because again, uh, Pixar I absolutely adore. Um, a lot of their films I feel like I, I I have won and done them, and I haven't gone back to rewatch a lot of their stuff. Not because of the quality or anything. I mean, they're they're a lot. A lot of them are emotional gut punches, um, but. I, I shout out to both of them for doing that. I know Alex was, um, I was tweeting with him on, on, on Twitter about a, f- a few things and, uh, it got, I'm like, fuck, I got to And I watched the opening of Wally, um, after, um, uh, Wally. 
what's his name uh passed away god i'm blanking oh, fred uh fred willard uh, fred willard passed away thank you and um i just put on the opening of wally and i'm like i i adore wally but then i adore most uh uh pixar movies but the ones i'd be most curious going back to are like a bug's life which i probably haven't watched since it came out when i was a kid um and some of the uh, ratatouille i haven't really rewatched all that much and i know people love uh the cars movies would be hard to go back and re- are they watching those or did they skip them yeah so kyle has watched cars one and two and oh, he no. said that they are the worst experiences yeah. he's had to go back and revisit them because the the film that the, the movie that kyle and i've had had not fighting over but like a contentious uh debate is inside out kyle does not like that movie and i'm looking oh, wow. at my list my list of ranking right now yours uh, is just it, memory from rewatch from watching them or well, i just rewatched like- them i rewatched some of them when the 4ks were coming out oh, and also right, right. i had i started rewatching them again with um uh, not onward, but the uh, what was the the film? Oh, Coco. So when Coco was being released, I started rewatching a few of them again. Um, so my number one is Toy Story three, and my number two is Inside Out. Um, but wow. it, it's funny because the car movies are truly the worst of the bunch, and I would say that two Cars two is probably the worst Pixar movie. But the thing is, and and I, maybe this is a side tangent here, um, but quickly. There was a period where Pixar was at its purest when it was doing original movies. And even though, you know, Toy Story 2 was kind of factored into that at a time when they were still kind of establishing themselves as a company. Um, and that was also supposed to be a direct-to-video movie. Um, still a great film. But there was a point after I, Kyle and I, again, were texting about this Toy Story 3, where it's like they kind of just gave up and said, like, OK, let's make kids movies just for kids or like just think like what little kids would like. And the car movies are obviously representative of that. But everything that they've done since Toy Story 3, with the exception of Inside Out, has been mostly kind of meandering middle of the road. And when you think like when they were in their prime, they were releasing movies like Wally and Up and Ratatouille one after another. And I think another film that kind of kind of put a, a roadblock there was the Newt film um, that was that they were they were working on. That there are, you can go online and check out their uh, their production designs. And the reason why they canceled that film was because Rio beat them to the punch, which was a very similar story except with birds instead of a Newt. Yeah. No, I mean, I love Pixar. I, I I mean, I don't know if I'd agree with that. They've become kind of middle of the road because I really stu- still do love Coco and 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 some. But what I about mean, on? But but look at this though. Like I'm gonna onward, I'm gonna go through yeah. this onward. The Good Dinosaur, even though the Good Dinosaur yeah. has some interesting moments, and the same Your thing with Brave. Yeah. Because they had problems behind the scenes or the productions kind of weren't going in the direction that they had originally thought of. I mean, with The Good Dinosaur, if you read sort of the behind the scenes of that movie, there's a whole different film that that wasn't even made, you know, that yeah. they had to re-edit. Um, and they fired the original voice cast for that I film. I know, yeah. They, they redid everything, basically. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. If you go through their more recent stuff, they're not the heavy hitters like you mentioned previously, but – like uh, Monsters University, Finding Dory, Brave, The Good Dinosaur, Cars Three, um, Incredibles Two is is good. I really like that movie. Um, I'm I'm just looking at it now. Like even Toy Story Four. Toy Story Four is a solid film, 
but it's also unnecessary. Like you don't need it necessarily to have the 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 satisfaction and fulfillment that that trilogy brought. You're making you know? good points. That streak of movies is not the greatest, but not the worst, but not the greatest either. Um, yeah. But that shout out to them because I do want to do a Pixar rewatch. You know, just become full Disney shills, MCU, Pixar. Uh, whatever else is next. All right. I, I cut- think what I want to say with, with, with soul though, is that yeah. I hope this is a return to form. Like I would I love them to get back to making the original out. movies. It looks more inside out than it does those other movies that you, you mentioned. So I, I agree with that completely. And I like onward was totally fine, but totally forgettable as well. Um, I cut out some of the stuff cause a lot of it was TV stuff. So let's just go over a few more, uh, trailers cause we still do have a lot of news to cover and I'm sure we'll be diving deep into a lot of it. But, um, there was the, uh, Dave Franco's directorial debut, uh, the rental, uh, Eric, I don't know if you watched this, uh, trailer, uh, with I Allison sure did. Dan Stevens, um, and, uh, Tony, um, no, Toby, um, what's his name? Huss. Uh, Toby Huss, yes. Um, I don't know. It looks like uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it seems like a good direct to VOD um, thriller. So, like, I'm in. I don't know. I, I would watch this. Um, yeah, someone cu- online was saying it almost looks like like a, a a romance movie that's been put into a slasher flick. Yeah, and I'm totally into that. And uh, seeing what Dave Franco does bef- behind the camera should be interesting. Um, uh, I like Dan Stevens. I like Allison Brie. I like uh, that that the one kids from Shameless. I think is it Shameless or no? Who am I? Uh, anyway, double check. Either way, um, I don't know. I this kid. I didn't. This wasn't even on my radar, and and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll I would definitely watch this. Um, just awkward silences. Eric looks up the kid's name. Oh, uh, Jeremy Allen uh, White is who yeah, you're, is he, you're talking. Is he from about. Shameless? Is that was I right? Yeah, yeah, you were. Yeah. Uh, he plays uh, Lip Gallagher. Right, yeah, Lip Gallagher. Um, what did you? Are you into this? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm curious. I don't want to necessarily invoke the name of James Franco, but I look at James Franco and how he kind of like meddled in directing a lot of festival titles that were god awful that wouldn't play in general unless it had his name, and it kind of felt almost like Franco, you know, besides the sexual harassment thing, was kind of spreading himself so thin as kind of a, a a renaissance man slash multi-hyphenate that when you hear the name James Franco as like a director, writer, producer, author of books, it's kind of like it, it wears thin. So I'm hoping that with this, Dave Franco has more of an interest of actually making this movie and not making it just like an experiment or a joke. Like, I don't mind him being experimental with the filmmaking, but I just don't want him to be like, uh, I made this because like, you know, I had some free time and these people either, you know, are friends or, or, or family or owed me favors. And it was just like, yeah, just gonna, you know, give it a, give it a whirl. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And then the last couple ones are some streaming uh, shows. I always have to give a shout out to the Muppets. Uh, there's a new Muppet show called Muppets Now. Uh, Disney will just not give up on the Muppets, and I appreciate them for that. No matter how many times they try to, you know, uh, reinvent the Muppets or do something new, and it it never quite works. It almost worked with the uh, the 2011 Muppets movie. It was 2011, right? 
Uh, yeah, and then there I was think. a revival in 97 or 98 as well with uh, the Muppets uh, Tonight, right? With yeah. Like, yeah, and, and it, like it just I, kind I of feels that. like they want to, to to make it work, right? And they just, they can't. Yeah, the 2011 Muppets um, movie, I think, worked um, with Chris Cooper and, you know. Um, Tex uh, Richmond? Tex Richmond, great name. Um, maniacal I love laugh, to- maniacal I- laugh. That movie is fantastic. Uh, Muppets Most Wanted, not so great. Um, and then they kind of just, I think they tried to do a sitcom on ABC, which didn't really work. And then Cancels. now they're trying. Yeah. And now they're doing Muppets Now, which looks like a hybrid variety show and, and talk show kind of thing where they're interviewing celebrities and and doing zany uh, uh, things, kind of like Muppets Tonight, a little bit like a modern version of that. Um, but I love the Muppets. I think Disney Plus is, it makes the most sense for them. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to this as I do with most things with the Muppets. But um, I, I'm glad Disney doesn't give up on them, no matter how it doesn't feel like they're super relevant anymore. Yeah, I mean, I I also have a soft spot for them, obviously, like the holiday specials and things like that and, you know, growing up with them. But I do feel like they are of a time and place, especially now. And and, and while like I think this is the perfect home for them because, you know, Disney is in complete control of of them working with, you know, the Jim Henson uh, company and, and, and what have you. And I'm sure, you know, we'll we'll be seeing other Henson related uh, uh, productions like a Labyrinth sequel coming up soon and maybe there'll be a kind of renaissance in just Jim Henson production. But I feel like with Muppets Most Wanted and then the sort of happy time murders kind of coming to get close afterwards, it kind of felt like the it almost is like Star Wars where it's like you you bring something back that's been away for a while. You kind of enjoy it, seeing it again, recalling it, but then when you get more of it you kind of get your fill to the point where it's like, oh, well, I, you know, one would have been enough or, you know, two would have been enough if, you know, the storytelling was was really good. And like, I, I almost feel that that was even more so with the Muppets, where it's like the the 2000, the 2011 version was such a really wonderful movie because everybody involved in it wanted to make that film, you know, and Walter aside. You know, the movie, I think, is a love letter to Jim Henson and everything he created. Now, I just wonder if this is just kind of like a corporate thing. And like with with the idea of them doing interviews, that's the thing that kind of worries me the most is how phoned in it might be or kind of like, you you know, people like RuPaul and Seth Rogen and and people like that um, pop up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. I like the Muppets in this format because I feel like the films, like you mentioned, like getting one of them is nice and then maybe they're better suited for, you know, smaller, you know, 20 minute kind of zany antics. Holiday specials, yeah. man. Yeah, Holiday I specials. I don't know. We'll see. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, um, but it really kind of depends. I hope everyone that they involve from the celebrity side of things are like, you know, big Muppet fans and aren't just phoning it in and they're doing it because they truly love you know, they have a soft spot for them much like we do, but um, we'll see. And then um, finally the trailer for uh, Netflix is reviving unsolved mysteries. Um, Hell yeah. So I, I was like, yo, I'm in. Uh, I, um, uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure. Su- Eric, did you watch unsolved mysteries? The first uh, when, when did it air even? 
Uh, so Matt, I can't believe you do not remember this. We talked Didn't about you this go on a whole thing where you rewatched a bunch. Hell yes! Oh, so yeah. they're on Amazon yeah. Prime right now, and I've I've I went through the first three seasons because I mean the the formula. I do remember. Very, I just I, there's yeah. too many of those shows where I'm like, was it this one or was it the guy from Star Trek? Um, I've I've watched uh, some of that as well, but but no, this was like Unsolved Mysteries for me as a kid because it started in the mid '80s, but there was a lot of reruns into. Uh, the early to mid nineties that I do remember like the theme music is a lot, what a lot of people remember, especially of a certain generation being scared of it. Um, but it's, it's weird because uh, apparently the Netflix version, this, this version, uh, the original one being hosted by Robert Stack and then Dennis uh, Farana uh, hosted it in the revival version in the early two thousands, all of which are on Amazon prime. Um, but this version is only six episodes and it doesn't have a host. And I kind of miss like a host coming. Like Robert Sack was one of those guys, like every time he would come onto uh, the the stage or where they were shooting, he would always kind of like walk towards the camera, stop and put his hand in his pocket as he was talking about the intro to what the episode would be or like in between uh, segments. And I kind of enjoyed that and it kind of made it a little bit more personal, but it was also kind of freaky because when you watch some of those updates, cause they got into like the supernatural in, in the later years, but like most of it was like, you know, kidnappings or disappearances or finding uh, murderers that are, that are hiding. And it became one of those popular phenomenons where like people always would tune in, in the way that like in the nineties uh, America's most wanted was right. Like something like that. And like people would call in and say like, Oh, I saw this person who was on your show. That is, uh, reported or or, or uh, assumed to have murdered this person, and half of the time, the funniest thing is half of the people that end up sort of running on the lamb from the police end up in Canada. It's always in Hamilton, or it's always in Toronto, or like some backwaters place in Canada, or it's like so. So we caught uh, uh, Jerry in a seedy uh, hotel up in Niagara Falls, Canada, where him and his new girlfriend were hiding out. Um, and it's just funny to like watch those episodes, but it, it's, it's even goofier when they get into like UFOs and things like that. Which but- it seems like you're relying not heavily, but that it was a big presence in this new revival trailer. Yeah, but but what makes the the show also creepy, not just the theme music, was when you would see the episodes where, because at the end of each segment, they uh, would have like, oh, update, uh, this person was caught or this person was found. But the ones that I always found creepy were the ones where you would see the update. It's like, this person was never found. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it kind of like is chilling in a weird way. Are you, are you going to watch this revival? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm down. I'll check it out. I'm... Uh, I never was super familiar with the original series, but um, I knew of it and things like that. And I know that it has a big following and stuff like that. All right. That covers uh, a, a buttload of trailers. I skipped a couple of the things just because they were TV stuff. We can kind of move on since we're getting long in the tooth here. Uh, moving on to the news. Um, Eric already mentioned uh, uh, earlier on the show, unfortunately, um, Joel Schumacher did pass away in the last um, uh couple weeks but in between recordings of the show um eric had a nice tribute to some of the films he watched and uh enjoyed from schumacher and also uh sir ian holm also uh passed away um in in the in the last couple weeks so uh rest in peace to both of those guys eric any memories for sir ian holm i know people probably know him best from 
Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's one group I mean, of people, people that grew up. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. As 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 the older vir- version of Bilbo uh, Baggins, um, which he's he's amazing in that in that movie in the in the t- in the time span that he has. Um, but for a lot of people as well, like I mean, Ash is the character that people kind of best know him from in, in Alien. Uh, oh God! As, yeah. Oh, my- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like I mean uh, that he, that performance is 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 incredible and obviously he went on to I mean he was a character actor even before then and 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 afterwards and kind of like one of the 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 best performances I think of his career is in Adam Agoyan's The Sweet Hereafter as the lawyer that comes into this small Canadian town and kind of represents um the families that lost uh children on that in, in that bus accident and he is so uh, compelling in that movie. Uh, he was Oscar nominated for Chariots of Fire in a supporting role. Um, he was in Terry uh, Terry Gilliam's uh, Time Bandits. He played Napoleon three times. Uh, oh, one one of the most solid character actors, kind of going uh, a, a great guy to always see pop up, whether it be in Scorsese's The Aviator or in Big Night. He's fantastic he was the uh the villainous chef in uh uh voice wise in ratatouille so there you know, we go always always good to have him around miss him i mean he'd been retired for a few years he he passed away at 88 but uh yeah like yeah. alien is that yeah. film that i remember yeah. him the most the Hobbit, yeah and i think that's what i, I like again I, yeah and before that was ratatouille wow yeah he he was retired for a while before he came back for um uh the hobbit movies um yeah, I, and I think that's just was I think the biggest thing that most recently I guess people would know him from. But oh, I didn't even clue in. I'm like, oh yeah, he was an alien and he was Ash. Um, sometimes I just don't like put two and two together when I'm thinking of these things. Um, but yeah, that's a uh, uh, unfortunate loss. But yeah, a long good life for Sir Ian Holm. Um, all right, moving on to uh, big news uh, this week. Um, let's just kick it off with, I mean, a thing I think is very special to us and, um, obviously people in my household as well, but, um, yeah, TIFF laid off, um, 31, uh, employees this past week, uh, which is 17% of their workforce, uh, citing, you know, um, the coronavirus and COVID as well as a 50%, you know, decrease in revenue from, last year so unfortunately they had to make the tough decision to let 31 of their wonderful uh, employees go um and one of them being my uh wonderfully talented fiance um nevis um who worked on the editorial team there um so uh, really really crummy news um again uh i'm i'm dealing with it firsthand with with nevis here um, but, uh, our hearts go out to everyone who lost their, their jobs over the last week. We have a lot of friends that, that, and, and obviously I, I know a ton of people there. I know, uh, more than just Nevis who got, who lost their jobs this past week. So, uh, just a, a really, really shitty situation, um, coming from, you know, I know they're not the only ones that have lost their jobs due to, um, you know, COVID, but, um, for an organization that I think is, is very special, we kicked off the show, um, mentioning that first TIFF in 2013, when I, I met Nevis, when she was a volunteer, um, at that festival and, um, and how important it's been in our lives for the last 
uh, seven years being together and, and something Eric and I go. And obviously it's our biggest part of our year this uh, every year, but um, just a really, really shitty situation. And I hope everyone, you know, lands on their feet very, very quickly. And I know Nevis will, she's incredibly talented and, and um, she'll land somewhere and uh, very, very quickly, I'm sure someone will scoop her up. And I just want to say, uh, I love you to Nevis and, um, and hearts out to everyone who, who lost their jobs in the last, you know, in, in this past week, uh, Eric, I don't know if you have anything to say on, on top of that. Yeah, I, I think that uh, what you said is is perfect. But also, I mean, we'll we'll be getting into it uh, momentarily with the next news story. I, uh, you know, as someone who loves going to the festival, who loves the community, who loves a lot of the people that 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 have worked there, that do work there still, um, it, it just pains me to just to, to just just for them to release the very next day um their schedule or plans for tiff uh 2020 and i know you know a lot of people have been wondering what was going to happen you know with the pandemic with the changes in 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 social distancing but it just felt really insensitive and unthoughtful um and was probably, I mean, I'm speaking just from an opinion point of view, uh, you know, strategic on their point point to do that the next day. So people would forget about, you know, the, the 31 people that lost their jobs that were that were laid off and think, oh, well, let's look at the bright side. And and you know what? They could have they could have released that information a week later. You know, they could have given some time to just let people have a moment to think about what's happened to just let people kind of breathe and think to themselves and, 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 and let that really sink in. But no, the next day they do that. And it's just so, I'm going to say it. I think it's kind of cruel to, to, to do that. And some people online have been like, Oh, well, yeah, like I totally get that, but you know, I still have to do coverage and, and it's fine that you have to, you know, cover, you know, certain media and the 24 hour news cycle is, is 24 hours. And then, you know, everything that's kind of within that cycle is forgotten about the next day or the day after. But for people to say like, Oh, what a coincidence that this happens the day afterwards. It's not like, let's just be clear. It's really not. They knew what they were doing and it sucks. And, uh, you know, to, to, to everybody that was to those 31 people that were let go, um, you know, I, I haven't forgotten, even though, you know, the movie news keeps going, uh, the festival will go on in some other version, but those names, those people won't be forgotten, at least by us. So, you know, we appreciate yeah, everything think, that they did. I, I completely agree with that sentiment. And that's why I wanted to start the show, not with, you know, the festival plans, but with those 31 people that lost their jobs. Cause I think that is the big story here. And I totally agree with you that, um, those announcements probably should have been, I get that it was probably a strategic thing. And sometimes that's cringy and, and, and feels kind of scummy in, in the way where it's just like, yeah, I, I really do feel like, okay, we can undercut this news that we're our revenues down 50 per 50% and that we have to cut 31 people. If we give people what they've been asking for of what the festival is going to be and announcing 10 films and announcing, you know, uh, what 
potentially could be what the festival looks like. And I do agree with you that I, I, I really do believe you should have given the respect to those people and given them, you know, some time to let before it just seems like, well, that's beyond us now. Here's the plans for the festival. And like, I, I agree with you that though, at least give people a week, if not more. And it does feel like it was intentionally timed that way, which I don't really love. Um, so I just feel like maybe in the, I hope they don't get to have to do this ever in the future, but I, part of me wants to hope that it wasn't intentional. Cause then that feels, um, like you said, kind of cruel. But um, I, I know this how things go, and and from a PR angle, that is a lot of the times you try to give bad news at uh, one day, and then try to immediately give something else to take the attention off of it, and um, that's kind of shitty. And uh, unfortunately, the next day they did announce their plans for the 2020 festival, and I feel like that did take the attention off of the 31 people who did get laid off the day before. So. Um, yeah, it would, which sucks. Cause I was perusing some film websites right before this gathering news. And I saw a lot of websites reporting on, you know, the, the big nerd sites, like the colliders and the slash films and not just calling out them. I'm sure other people did report on it, but, um, I didn't see a separate news piece with Tiff lays off this many people. It was just Tiff. Here's their festival plans. Right. And, um, yeah, more and- journalists were griping about, not being the one to uh you know be the first people to deliver the 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 tiff schedule this year like there were more people fighting about that online than saying like hey let's take a moment here and actually like talk about 31 people being laid off in a, in in a film community in in a in tiff in general that is always about the people first yeah and i get business is hard and and everyone's been hit really really hard but um and I know it's never okay. Like it, it's never great to have to lay people off. And I've been laid off multiple times, to be honest, at show me, I went through a whole, a, a shitty thing with that closing down and having to be laid off there. Uh, I left Rogers. That was more of my own terms, but it was in a, a weird situation. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to help Nevis through this whole thing and, and understand that a lot of the times it's not, you know, it's not personal or anything, but then all, honestly, sometimes it feels like in these situations that, and I know Tiff's a nonprofit. It's not like a big conglomerate like a, a Rogers and or something like that. But um, sometimes it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't, it, it, it's difficult. Like it feels personal at that time. And it, and it just sucks that those 31 people in, in the hardest time of a lot of our lives right now are out of work and a job that probably a lot of them really, really loved too, right? Like a lot of people work for nonprofits and for things like TIFF is because they believe in the cause and they believe that kind of stuff. And then when shit like this happens, it's hard. And then when they do something like announcing the festival stuff the next day, it's yeah, it kind of makes you think a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, nothing we can say really helps, but I know a lot of those people, uh, obviously my fiance is one of them. It's been a super tough couple of years for, for her and for us. And like, um, we'll get through it though. And I know she'll land on her feet and she'll, she'll go somewhere, uh, amazing. And, and, um, and, and Tiff will hopefully bounce back. I guess that's the, if you try to look at the, the thing, I hope I'll, 
they do. I really hope that this announcement as as ill-timed as it was, and I hope this festival is able, because I, I really do care about this organization too, and, and Nevis does as well, and I know everyone in this small community does, and you never want to see them um, have to go through something like this and, and put people th- uh, through this kind of thing. And um, I don't know, man, I just keep, I keep thinking about obviously um, those people that lost their jobs and it's hard to focus on what this festival is going to be, especially in a year like this. And you never want, you don't want them to fail because I hope they're able to hire some or all of these people back next year or, or whether it's these people or if they go on to bigger and better things then hire uh, more staff that's able to work on the full festival next year. Right. So you hope they bounce back, but what's more important is I hope all those people are all right. Um, I know it's the worst time to lose your job, but I know each one of them, um, will move on to, uh, to fantastic opportunities. Cause I've, I, if I can give you anything, I've gone through it multiple times. Each time I've left a job, um, I found something, you know, even better. So if that's, I know it's probably hard and I, Probably none of you are even listening right now anyway, but um, uh, if you are, <laughs> you, it'll be all right. And then anyways, we can talk about their announcement as well. So yes, as Eric mentioned, the next day they announced uh, what they plan on doing for the festival. So they're sticking with the original dates, uh, which is September 10th to the 19th. Um, they've cut the program down to 50 feature films. Uh, five programs of short films. There's going to be interactive talks, uh, cast reunions for films, Q and A's with cast and filmmakers, which you all assume is going to be, you know, like they're doing with uh, stay at home cinema online. Um, God, they I do, hope Josh Gad is not involved. They do plan on doing physical screenings, which is uh, interesting as well as drive-ins, digital screenings, virtual red carpets, press conferences, and industry talks. Um, so they are trying to adapt and obviously they, again, because they laid off 31 people, they're not, they're struggling financially a little bit. So, um, I think a physical festival is almost something they have to try and do just to try and make some of that revenue back because they, uh, or else they might really be screwed. And then, uh, they did announce, um, 10 films. Um, so 20% of the entire, um, you know, uh, slate, uh, on that day. So, uh, we have, uh, I have the list or do you want to go through it? You have it? Well, I was just going to say, I, I was referencing neon, uh, earlier. One of the films that is uh, a neon, uh, release that was also a, a can selection this year, even though the can film festival didn't happen, it was going to be one of the films that uh, was playing was uh, the Kate Winslet, uh, Saoirse Ronan uh, star uh, called uh, Ammonite, uh, directed by uh, Francis Lee, who directed um, um, God's Own Country. So I'm kind of excited to see that. Now, that's also kind of gotten some controversy from the uh, the family because uh, it's based on a, a, a true story of an archaeologist who falls in love with a, uh, another woman. And apparently the family or, or the estate has claimed that the story is inaccurate. So it'll, it'll be interesting. But a lot of people that have seen it or have talked about it say that it is uh, not your average period piece. So Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, here. I have the press release here so I can kind of go through it. So um Tiff is thrilled to announce that to date, Ammonite, directed by Francis Lee, um, another round from director Thomas Vinterberg, Bruised, uh, the debut film from Halle Berry, Concrete Directorial Cowboy. debut, yeah. Yeah, 
um what did i say did i you yeah. said the debut film of Halle Berry. Well, that's how they from director Halle Berry. Sorry, I missed yeah. the word director. The directorial debut, uh, "Concrete Cowboy" by Ricky Staub, uh, "Fauna" from Nicholas Pareda, uh, "Good Joe Bell" by Ronaldo Marcus Green, uh, "Spring Blossom," uh, f- uh, the debut film by director Suzanne Linden, and "True Mothers" uh, from Naomi uh, Kawazi uh, from Japan. Um, so those are the 10 films they've announced, uh, for the festival, um, so far, um, with 40 more films, uh, debuting or, uh, announced later in the summer. Um, so more details over the first five days of the festival, TIFF's full slate of films will premiere as physical, socially distanced screenings. Festival goers can enjoy drive-ins and outdoor experiences that take them beyond the movie theater. TIFF is working closely with the province of Ontario, Toronto, public health advisors and things like that. Um, the presentation of TIFF's traditional in-person film festival will be contingent on the province reopening framework to ensure that the festival venues and workplace practices meet and exceed public health deadline, deadlines or uh, guidelines. Sorry. Um, and then for the first time in its history, TIFF will launch a digital platform for the festival, affording new opportunities to connect with audiences beyond Toronto. Uh, TIFF has partnered with Shift72 to develop this industry-leading online platform. And over the 10 days of the festival, the platform will host digital screenings as well as numerous talks and special events. Um, and then there's some quotes from Cameron and uh, and Joanna um, the heads of TIFF. So Eric, um, we already have our thoughts about the layoffs, which obviously is, is real shitty and this announcement coming the next day, not ideal. Um, but that being said, um, what are your thoughts on the announcements in general? I'm curious. I mean, like, obviously it's going to be a different festival from years past. And, and what's most interesting is, um, you know, how much of the, the, the festival that is not digital, uh, will be local because obviously you live uh, currently uh, downtown in sort of the heart of Toronto. You're not too far um, from the light box um, where I live uh, about 45 minutes outside of Toronto uh, further east. So the the idea of having um, a lot of the P&I screenings potentially being digital uh screenings and probably time sensitive depending on how many how many uh times the these movies play and which films are 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 most kind of quote-unquote like you know the the special presentation slash premium releases and that kind of thing um will will kind of play out because like at this point like we every year i mean the podcast this podcast has been going for three years now and and one of our kind of big sort of time events around this time is TIFF. You know, I mean, we, we spent three and a half hours almost covering uh, the, the releases of one year. And we did last year, a kind of roundup every day or at the end of every day. And we realize it's our bread and butter in terms of, um, you know, talking about movies and it's always exciting to do so. It's also our I most want- time of the year too. Like we exactly. Yeah, we're getting kind of the. I mean, obviously there are a lot of Cannes and Sundance movies, but um, you know, when it comes to some of the, the the bigger fall films, now what will those fall films be? Because you know, 
this year will be interesting. We'll be getting a first crack at movies that were supposed to play at Cannes, like, you know, the Vinterberg movie, another round and, and, but that hasn't been seen by critics. So now, you know, like a lot of press internationally and, and nationally and locally will get to be the first people to see those films. So it makes me wonder what, um, the accreditation process will be like as well uh, in terms of, um, you know, local and international, because like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of international press will not be coming to Toronto this year. No, I think they probably, I have no idea, but uh, they said the press and industry stuff, they will release, you know, later in the month or, or in July sometime. So I'd be curious to see, I'm sure they'll still have accreditation, but um, whether it's all digital or through this shift 72 thing that they're developing, or I have a hard time thinking that they'll give press any physical tickets. Like they'll still give the public, uh, the distributors, you know, a bank of tickets that they can probably give out, but you got to think with socially distant screenings, whatever that means. And I mean, we're going to talk about Cineplex and landmarks plans right after this. I mean, we can kind of tie it into it all is, what does that look like? Is it 30%? Is it 50%? Is it like, and if they're going to use the big venues like the Roy Thompson hall and um, princess of Wales and, and, and things like that, um, how are they going to do that? Are they taking the seats out? Like we've seen at some photos that I've shared um, over things where they've actually physically taken the seats out and only leave them in pairs. Are they just going to block things off to me? I've sat in those theaters before I think you have to take the seats out if you can, because just getting in and out of those rows, you are right on top of each other. <laughs> like, like there's not much leg room. So even me crossing to get to my seat in the middle of a section, I'm crossing however many people and being way less than six feet away. I'm being basically on top of them um, in that in most of those places. So um I think you, you kind of have to, um, you know, physically take out the seats and that's a, a huge thing. I'm very curious to see how they do these physical screenings and, um, and September is not too far away, right? Like we're a couple months away. Regular movie theaters haven't even opened yet. We don't even know how that's going to go. Um, I think there's still so many things up in the air here. Um, the, the drive-in thing is kind of, exciting or interesting i think midnight madness at the drive-in could be a blast right um and that kind of makes sense um these films i'm i'm curious for a lot of them but none of them really you know um get my uh, i don't i don't know what the saying i'm trying to nothing super excites me to be like fuck nothing I, if I floats miss- your boat baby yeah. none of this i'm gonna be like if i missed this i'm gonna be like you know I'm upset or anything or, or I'm missing out. Like, uh, so I'm curious to see what the other 40 films are. And like, I I think they have to do physical screenings if they want, you know, a mix of, you know, big Oscar, you know, film festival type movies and smaller indie stuff and, and your, and international stuff. So, um, but that might change as well, right? Because the Academy moving its sort of eligibility, uh, deadlines. I mean, now like, you know, TIFF being in September is, is not as far away, but it's almost like now TIFF is, is can or Sundance. Right. Where something now like a, um, uh, Berlin in February, um, or AFI in November. Or AFI in November. Yeah, that's a great point too. Could be like the thing right before, you know, the Oscars and and stuff like that. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know, man. And I could even see now that Oscar season has been pushed, you know, eligibility till February, where I, I don't, I even envision something where TIFF gets delayed if if things don't go to plan over the next couple months, and we get TIFF in November or or December. But I, I just don't know if that's even like plausible from a, you know. I, I I don't know. They, there's so many different things that could go right or go wrong that I'm I'm just not really sure um, uh, how this is going to play out. Uh, the other thing that they're doing is that they will be welcoming um, uh, uh, something that they're called TIFF ambassadors, so 50 um, filmmakers and actors to you know help you know promote the festival this year. So people like Ava DuVernay, Taika Waititi, um, uh, Nicole Kidman, Martin Scorsese. Uh, Nadine uh, Labaki, Alfonso Caron, uh, Tantu Cardinal, uh, Riz Ahmed, Ryan Johnson, Jason Reitman, Isabel Huppert, Claire Denis, Adam McGoyan, uh, and and more. Um, so I Not guess Jack I have Courtney though. I have no idea what they're going to do with these. I guess a lot of them will be maybe that in conversation kind of thing, or maybe they're doing intros to some of the movies or, or maybe they're the ones that will intro the movie and, and interview a director that from a, you know, uh, from online through zoom or something like we're doing right now. So um, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, I don't know. It, it, like you said, it's such a downer with, with what happened this week that it's hard for me to really get excited for it. And I want to be excited and, but we're still in such like a weird time where I'm not comfortable, you know, going to the movies or really going out all that much that I don't know if I can really think about what the hell the festival is going to be. So five days of movies, probably with a couple screenings, like it'll be interesting. I don't know. And maybe this is what TIFF's going to be moving forward. Maybe this is going to be the, uh, you know, the thing that changes TIFF for better or for worse moving forward too. Cause like one of the big things that, people was always seen as both a positive and a negative was how many movies they played every year. Right. Um, so if this 50 film thing, um, I, I don't know. It's, there's too many. It's more like mark. can, because like with, with, with the smaller number of films playing, there's an opportunity now for most people in terms of uh, press and, and industry people to see everything. Because usually we see about 50 films uh, at least in, in, in a season. Now there are, we, we do see some stuff in, in August, obviously pre-screening before the festival, but um you know, it, from what I've heard from from Can is like the experience or the fun is that everybody sees everything and you can have a conversation that makes it more right. interesting overall because you can kind of be for or against something, but at least everybody kind of knows what you're talking about. Where with TIFF, we've talked about this in in past uh, uh, podcasts, is that you can see you can go to the festival for those two weeks and see fifty to a hundred films or or 50, just 50, like say you see fifty films, but you could see. A lot. 50, yeah, but you could see 50 films and 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 your friend or neighbor or colleague could see 50 films and no one 50 film of, of those 50 films could be the same, right? Like there's so many movies. Tiff is basically like a buffet where you can pick and choose things, but you're not necessarily going to be eating everything or watching everything uh within those 2 weeks. It's it's impossible. I mean, we're still covering movies right now that played at Tiff last year um uh, for 
the podcast. I mean, we have the the Adam Agoyan movie coming up uh, at the beginning of uh, uh, July. July tenth is is guest of honor. So you know, there's still plenty of stuff that's that's trickling out from from past tiffs that we're catching up with. So now you have fifty movies where there's a possibility of almost seeing everything. And I think one of the most interesting aspects in terms of just you know, physically going to the festival would be the drive-ins, even though the, uh, you know, how those are going to play out because uh, the closest one we were talking about this off uh, 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 re- recording is that, you know, Oakville is, Oak, is, is, yeah. is a cl- yeah, Oakville, Mississauga area. Yeah. And that's but pretty far still for Toronto. They are doing some pop-up drive-ins in the city. Uh, you're seeing certain places who have the space kind of, uh, so I wonder if they partner with someone who's a little bit more downtown that has the space to fit, you know, however many cars. Um, I don't know. Who knows? But I think you also want that authentic driving experience if you're doing like a Midnight Madness thing or something like that, right? So uh, I would see them doing the Oakville Theater maybe, but um, uh, I guess if you have a car, it's not too far of a drive to go to the Oakville Theater. So um, you're not asking too much from people um, to go out there. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. I have no idea. Um, I I wonder if this will be the future of TIFF, a smaller festival. Um, I don't know. But then obviously sm- less movies means less screenings, which means less revenue. So I'm sure if TIFF had, had a, a, a choice, they would probably still program more films and have more screenings of things or do you just do more screenings of each film um i don't know this year's weird for everyone it'll be a weird festival um it's definitely not going to be the same but um we'll definitely cover it however we can um but i mean the positives out of it is i got i don't know we don't have to i guess no one really has to take the if it's only the first five days where they're doing the physical screenings that means it's just thursday to monday right and then um right uh, the one so. thing I will give Tiff some credit as well with with the announcement is that at least there is some sort of structure to it or an idea of what the festival is going to look like. Where Venice, the Venice Film Festival, which kind of announced um, what its plans were that it was going to to go on, was going to have a physical red carpet in in the end of August into September how is that even possible and what is that going to look like? And then you look at something like Telluride as well, which plays just before TIFF or overlaps slightly that hasn't made any announcements yet. So. Yeah, I don't know, dude, I'm still skeptical, but um, I think we'll have to see. I mean, uh, moving on, we can talk. Um, We're already kind of long, so we'll do kind of rapid fire. I think through we'll, we'll cover the big pieces of news and then I'll just fly through the other stuff. Um, so Cineplex and Landmark, uh, are going to start opening, uh, opening soon in the next couple of weeks. Uh, both Cineplex and Landmark will not require masks and both have kind of laid out what their plans are for reopening. You know, the same kind of thing you'd expect, you know, we're cleaning everything constantly in between screenings, you, a limited menu, limited contact points, um, yada, yada, yada. Um, so, and then we're starting to see delays come out of this stuff because it seems like, you know, it's getting worse in the U S right now. Um, some theaters aren't opening in the U S in New York and LA because we're seeing a spike in coronavirus cases. Um, and I don't know, I just don't think this is a good call with the no masks thing. I would be skeptical even if they required masks from everyone 
to go back to the cinemas. I'll give Landmark some credit. They have laid it out very clearly on their website, what they are doing in a nice, here's everything we're doing. Here's how this theaters will be set up. Here's all the contact points where I haven't really seen that from Cineplex, but maybe they haven't really, uh, they've kind of explained their plan so far, but um, both companies not requiring masks, I think is, is trash really. Um, but I, I understand that my, my opinion is that they're doing that because technically business in, comes, they say health comes first, but if health came first, you would require masks, not suggest them. And they said, say that they're listening to, uh, you know, health advisors and things like that. Um, my problem with that is that, yeah, but you could do more than that. Even you could take one step further and sure they're saying, okay, you probably don't need to require people to wear masks, but you'd still, if you put your, your customers and your employees health first, then you would require masks, even if it's not mandatory from the government. Um, but that means I think that they are putting business first because they know if they require masks, there is a large amount of people that probably, you know, wouldn't come because of that. So they are trying to appease to everyone by going, well, we're, we're saying we'll give you a free mask and we, we suggest you wear a mask, but it's not, we don't want to lose your business. So if you don't want to wear a mask, then come on in. It's okay. We won't force you. And I'm like, that's horseshit. And I just really... I, I won't be going. Um, I love going to the movies. There's no one um, that is more excited for Tenant and things like that than Eric and I. And Eric, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I fucking love going to the movies and I will not be stepping foot in a movie theater anytime soon um, when they don't require masks. And, and no matter how much they'll try to say, well, we're, we're cleaning everything nonstop and, and, and things like that. And I'm just like, I don't, necessarily uh i believe it but i just don't i'm not comfortable with that so i i might not see tenant who knows which is i think fucking crazy well if it even comes out theatrically because it keeps getting moved i mean we'll get to this story momentarily but i i I basically agree with your sentiments i love going to the movies it's 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 one of the greatest pleasures in life that i have it's it's an escape from the realities of which you live, but also you get to experience the world from different perspectives and points of view. And even though there's been a lot of really wonderful content um, that you can stream at home and watch at home, there's just something about being in a movie theater and with people that it, 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 there's nothing else like it. That experience is a a true joy and so hard to articulate other than just you know, being in a moment, and especially when you see a film that has meaning or power that can also transport you to the location and involve you in such a way. And yeah, it's it's been missed. I mean, it's only been a few months, but you still miss that. And we've talked about a couple of movies, even though some of them, you know, a cup whether Matt liked more or I liked less, could have been still really good theater going experiences. Um I also think that with Cineplex and and Landmark, specifically Cineplex, um, you know, it's endangering their employees' lives as well. Because even though their employees are wearing masks, if the patrons aren't wearing masks, there's still, you know, I mean, even if everybody is wearing masks, there is still a possibility um, for people getting sick. But you're you're reducing that possibility, and you know, the, for the people that that are 
wanting to get back to work and and following procedure and precaution and wearing the the right protective gear and things like that. It's 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 respectful to those people that are there as well that are working, you know, eight hour shifts. Again, Matt, you can attest to this because you worked at Cineplex. You know what it's like to work from, you know, uh so many so, hours a day yeah. and 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 the health and safety precautions that go in to just a regular uh theater going environment. So I I, I also am am concerned about that policy not being implemented for the people that have to work there or that want to work there because, you know, they want to, you know, get paid and, 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 and have a, a job and the resources that they need. But at the same time, it's like, it's not worth putting somebody's life at risk. And it just feels like you're, you're ruining uh, a, a great experience for everybody and turning it into, you know, a, a hot zone, which isn't, yeah. isn't necessary. I I totally agree with that. And then on top of that, like I mentioned, uh, a bunch more movies got delayed because studios are getting cold feet uh, and 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 pushing their movies even further. So Tenant got delayed another two weeks. So it's now uh, mid August, uh, the wonderful August movie, uh, Tenant. And then uh, Disney also pushed Mulan until the end of August. So almost a entire month for uh, Mulan. Um, uh, and then Paramount pushes Without Remorse all the way to 2021. And then um, Unhinged and Bill and Ted uh, Face the Music also got pushed a couple weeks each, right? Yeah. So now uh, they're mid-July or mid-August, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Unhinged is... It doesn't... I'm trying to go through here, but anyways, um, Bill and Ted is now end of August and things like that too. So, um, yeah, I think studios are starting to see, you know, cases spike and, and, and certain States that have tons of, you know, people like New York and, and Los Angeles and, and California and stuff like that aren't, that looks like they're postponing their openings of some of their theaters. So they've delayed these movies again. So, who knows, man? And, and the U.S. How what the curves looking like there? Who knows if uh, even if Canadian theaters are able to open or some other places in in the world, if the U.S. ones aren't able to open, and that's the you know the, the fucking center of the universe. Who knows when these movies are going to come out, right? Yeah, I don't know. And then the only two movies that still are supposed to come out in July are Saint Maud, the A24 horror film, which played at TIFF last year, um, and uh, the Broken Hearts Club, which is supposed to get a release also in, uh, I believe, both July 17th. But those Broken will probably Hearts also gallery. move. Yeah, gallery. Yeah, pardon me. It's all good. Yeah, I, those will get moved as well. So I don't know. Um, who, who knows, dude? <laughs> Uh, just put everything on VOD for the rest of the year, and then let's just let's take this year off, and and we'll come back strong next year. You know, um, okay. Let's do rapid fire through some of this. Some of it's bigger than others, but um, probably not much to talk about other than the announcement. But uh, it looks like Michael Keaton's coming back as Batman in and Bruce Wayne in uh the Flash movie. Uh, so it does look like they are doing Flashpoint. Um. The news is that I don't think Thomas Wayne is going to be in the movie and just it it will be, you know, Flashpoint for people that don't know in the comics was like a universe reset for the DC universe in the comics. So it kind of made sense for me that they're turning that into the Flash movie. Um, but the Flash movie itself has had a bunch of issues, you know, finding a director and and, and just getting off the ground. Um, and Ezra now, Miller. 
yeah, and then Michael Keaton coming back um, as Batman, I think, is crazy and uh, um, exciting. But this probably isn't the way that we necessarily wanted it to happen. I would have much preferred a Tim Burton directed Batman Beyond film um, with Michael Keaton, but maybe we get that now. I don't know. And then the news is that he will be in the bat suit at some point in the film, and it does look like he is going to be in some sort of mentor role. Um, in the DCEU moving forward in multiple films. So kind of like you, you mentioned it, Eric, like kind of like the Nick Fury kind of role. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, obviously we, we've talked about Michael Keaton many times before the man, the myth, the legend, uh, one of the greatest human beings to walk this earth. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's exciting because it is Keaton returning to the role. And, and we've talked about, you know, again, fantasizing about a batman beyond movie and and he's at that age now where it's perfect for that role and and i'm excited for it but it's like i don't want to care about a flash film even with flashpoint it's like okay that's fine whatever like if it was if it was lord and miller that were were making it which they were originally attached to at one point but i mean this thing has gone through so many directors it feels like everyone has had a a kick at, at trying to make flash work could be interesting, but it's like, I don't want to care about a flash movie, even if it is directed by, uh, Andy Machete, who directed the two it movies and mama. Um, I just like, I want just a Batman movie, or if they want to do this sort of D D C E U extended universe thing with Keaton as Batman, I'm fine with that. I'm even fine with the, the Burt movies being Canon. Like, if if Michelle Pfeiffer gets brought into this, that will be amazing as well. But I just feel like, okay, like this is the 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 starting off point. We don't even know how much screen time Keaton will even have in this film. I mean, if he's taking the Thomas Wayne role, it's pretty significant. But if they're adapting Flashpoint from, you know, the comics, not to a T, because obviously there were rumors that Jeffrey Dean Morgan was going to also be in the movie as Thomas Wayne. Um, but then I think in the rap, um, uh, Boris Kitt and, and other people mentioned that it doesn't look like Thomas Wayne is in the movie right now and that Michael Keaton is in that kind of, you know, Batman role where in Flashpoint, spoilers for the flashpoint comic so i don't know if this will happen in 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 the movie so stop listening if you care but who knows what they're going to do um there's some alternate universe stuff and the flash ends up you know in going to an alternate universe where thomas wayne is batman because um bruce was actually killed in the alleyway um instead of thomas and martha wayne so thomas becomes batman in this universe and then the reveal is that martha uh, uh, the, the titular Martha, uh, of the DCEU, um, becomes the Joker because she's so messed up over Bruce, Bruce's death. Um, so I don't know if they're going to go that route. Um, but, but if they do, who becomes Martha in this yeah, case, because it, she uh, would be dead, Michael right. King's Batman. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think that they're going to go that route. Um, so who knows what they're they're going to do, but they they will use this Flash movie as exactly what I assume they would do as kind of a reset for the entire DCEU. That way it makes sense that these movies are sort of connected, but not connected. The, the Keaton Batman movies are now connected technically to the Snyder movies. And like, it's just, it, it's wild, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how they pull it off. But um I, I mean, I love Michael Keaton. I love him as Batman. So this is exciting. Um, is it necessarily the way that I wanted him to come back to Batman? 
No, but will I take it? Yes. Uh, so we'll see. Um, okay. Now we're going to go into some rapid fire stuff. Um, I thought this was super interesting. So Jurassic world dominion adds Campbell, uh, Scott as a, as Dodgson (laughs) from the original Jurassic park. Um, so I didn't know the history of the original, uh, actor Cameron Thor, who is now a convicted sex offender, but that's why he is not coming back to the role. Um, so, uh, that being said, uh, Campbell Scott is, uh, going to be playing Dodgson, um, which is kind of interesting. So, um, such a small role in that first movie, um, sharing time with Wayne Knight's character, um, in, at the, the restaurant scene, Dodson, um, we got Dodson here. I, I mean, is amazing. So I I'm curious to see how he plays into this. Cause I always thought that that canister that, um, that uh wayne knight the the barbasol can with the uh you know the dna and stuff in this company that was trying to get it for him which is the you know the crux of the entire first movie and all the the shitty stuff that happens how that's never come back into play but i don't know how it will come into play here um but well the dilophosaurus took it and got a better deal hopefully um so I'm I'm curious. I, I don't know. I I'm I, I want that movie to be good so bad, but I don't think we've ever gotten a truly I I have a soft spot for the Lost World, but Jurassic Park sequels have not been super, super kind to us. No. And even um, now when they're bringing back, it's like Jurassic Park generations, right? Where they're bringing totally in, but like I just I want it to be good so bad, but I just I don't know. Uh, I gotta okay. get that Dennis Nedry action figure though. Dude, that thing, that thing. <laughs> rules in the barbasol can uh splash mountain is going to be remade as a princess in the frog ride which i think is great because the original ride is based on song of the south and it still was in uh disney parks until very recently they removed all the racist stuff but it's still based on that that film um so uh reimagining it as a princess in the frog ride i think is um is a great fuck you to uh to racists and i think a great movie that hasn't necessarily gotten its due in Disney parks. So I think that is a good decision by Disney. Um, but they shouldn't, but, but people shouldn't forget that Disney took so no. long to do this. And also yeah. that Disney was the one that created song of the South. So I agree, you know, I think hold them I, accountable even after this happens. I agree, but I do think it is a good thing that they are making princess and the frog take over that ride. Um, okay um another thing that's probably taken too long and uh i can't believe it still was a thing up until very recently um on the simpsons uh white actors will know uh longer voice uh poc characters and then also on um big mouth and central park uh jenny slate and Kristen bell will no longer voice biracial characters on both of those shows um Again, a good thing that probably shouldn't have been a thing in the first place or have taken this long. Um, so, and I, I'm with you, Eric, where I think in a lot of the times and other news that I don't have down here, but in that same realm is that you're seeing uh, a shows like The Office, 30 Rock, um, uh, Golden Girls even, and like other other TV shows that have uh, featured characters in, in, in blackface are removing those episodes uh, from streaming services and things like that. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I'm, I'm with you that I, I, I feel 
at least with your comments on the um the splash mountain ride of i don't necessarily think these things should be taken down more so than left up with you know a um a disclaimer at the beginning saying what the episode features and that it's important to show that not even that long ago in these television shows that they were doing things like this. And yeah. Well, Tina, Black. Tina Fey did it twice with 30 rock and, uh, uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Cause they both have uh blackface and, uh, fetishism of, uh, uh, Asian culture. So, um, yeah, I, I think what, okay. So, I mean, looking at what happened with Gone with the Wind is another great example because HBO Max pulled uh, Gone from the Wind uh, and and has recently put it back up, but with a disclaimer and a historical context of what the movie is. So I think things like that are important to keep because if you want to do research and study sort of uh, racial segregation and racism in general through pop culture, those things should be available, right? And, And you should be able to hold the creators accountable to have that conversation and say like what were you thinking why did you think this was a good idea and you know yeah like why do you think like i would love to actually have a conversation or somebody have a conversation with tina fey and be like okay well like like honestly did you guys think that was funny then did you even consider like what the the ramifications were i mean back in 2005 2006 when 30 rock was kind of a big deal i mean blackface was looked down upon then like it wasn't like something new that is coming to light that people are being uh woken up by that like it was bad then it was it was bad even when it was in fashion in the 1930s and 40s but now even it's like okay well you can't hide behind the the idea of it being all political satire like it, it it comes from a place of of hatred and 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 cruelty so yeah but i i still think it needs to exist because you need to know it's like history itself you need to know where you came from and what happened in order to better yourself for the future or to not make the same mistakes twice and just erasing them or pretending that they don't exist doesn't help i am a hundred percent with you on that um and even something like uh i don't know where you stand on tropic thunder um, because I, I, I do think that the movie's making a statement on blackface while an actor is actually in blackface. So that one's a tricky one, but I, I, with all of these things, I don't think that they should be, you know, taken down. And, and like you said, for, we should know that these things happened as recently as a few years ago. <laughs> so, um, and if you're looking at these animated series, um, it's happening even currently and has happened for years. So, um, I mean, I, it's, I'm glad we're seeing change. It's just, it's unfortunate. It's taken this long to, you know, for people to even be like, Oh, you know what? It's wrong now, even though I've been playing this character for 20 years or 10 years or, or even as recently as central park, which literally came out two weeks ago. <laughs> Right. Well, even Alison Brie was talking about it with her Vietnamese character in uh, BoJack Horseman. And there's yeah. a great interview with uh, Ingu Kang, and she talked to the creator of that show, and he regretted uh, doing that as they were making the show. And I can see, I'm not justifying this or saying that that's right, but I can understand from like a, a quote-unquote business point of view where you know you see a production company saying, oh, we got Alison Brie, who's coming off of Community. She's a big name. Let's give her a role in something. Well, this is the only role we have okay well nobody will really notice because it's an animated character right it, it's, it's, 
narrative. Yeah, but. exactly. But but it it does kind of raise that question of like, well, is is that culturally and racially sensitive? And also, you know, like, well, if you if you're doing that, like, what's a stereotype or what? is animated blackface at this at this point so like i i think i think it's good to have the conversation at the very least and i think to make those strides are important but also i think the bigger issue here is you know not just the end like the film industry but what's going on now with black lives matter is that you know you focus the attention back on you know changing how um you know government and and police structures uh, approach things Instead of focusing like on the entertainment industry, changing things. <laughs> um, yeah. I agree with you there. Uh, okay. Now actual rapid fire, Eric, you mentioned magic school bus earlier in the episode, Elizabeth Banks playing Miss Frizzle in a live action thoughts. Who cares? <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Who cares? I, I loved it as a kid. I'm sure yeah. you did as well. Doesn't need Fine. to be live action. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan's next movie lands a release date and three new cast members. It's coming out um, on uh, July 23rd, 2021. Um, and it added uh, Ken Lung, who you guys would maybe know from Lost, uh, Abby Lee from Mad Max Fury Road, and Nikki Amuka Bird, who is in Avenue 5. It's also starring Thomas and McKenzie, Alex Wolf, Eliza Scanlon, Aaron uh, Pierre, and uh, Vicky Cre- uh, Creeps. Um, we already talked about this on the last episode. No, we mentioned it um, on one of the reviews that we were going to talk oh. about it. I think um, that's okay. fine. Um, I'm I we have a soft spot for Shyamalan. I hope he uh, bounces back after a not so great uh, glass. <laughs> um, Remember, everybody was like splits the return, and then it's like everybody was kind of going back. It's like oh, like let's 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 look at his you know signs and and uh, Unbreakable as, as as great movies and Sixth Sense as well to to a certain extent. Uh, but now it's like after Glass, it was like fuck you again. Yeah, I, I don't hate Glass, but it's not a great movie. Um, Twister is getting rebooted by uh, Top Gun Maverick uh, director Joseph Kaczynski. Um, conflicted on this, I, I again, I Nevis, one of her favorite movies is the is Twister. Um, I love Bill Paxton, uh, Helen Hunt, and and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and that entire cast in that movie. Um, it's five dollars on. Uh, uh, apple right now if anyone wants to pick it up digitally it might be on some other streaming services uh so i don't know how i feel about this i don't think it necessarily needs a reboot uh the 90s doesn't feel like too long ago but maybe it is 30 years ago but um i don't know uh, your thoughts cast gerard butler and i'm good to go yeah. uh lord and miller set a murder mystery comedy series uh the after party at apple uh this was very exciting um to me i mean i love lord and miller but i love the the murder mystery element um of each episode focuses on the perspective of a different character and each uh episode is going to have a different genre of film attached to that character that matches their personality so i thought that was a really interesting way and i love those guys mm-hmm. Um, so this is like the first Apple TV series that I'm like, Ooh, I'm really kind of excited for that. I don't know about you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it. And I agree with you where it's like, Apple really hasn't made anything that's kind of blown my socks off it, with the exception. I mean, I like the beastie boys, uh, documentary, but nothing that I would be like series wise, I would, you know, buy a subscription for. So, uh, Brooklyn nine, nine scraps its first, uh, episodes for season eight and is going to get a major rewrite uh you know obviously due to um 
everything going on with um, the police force and Black Lives Matter and and everything going on, you know, just in, in general right now. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. I know we've talked about on the show, which is why I wanted to bring it up, that how much we enjoy Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, but to pivot and then make that show about what's happening right now, I don't know how they're going to do it and do it properly. Um, so I'm a little worried in that sense. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. Yeah. I mean, I'm concerned, but I think at the same time they need to, I I think they just can't ignore it. And, and that show is a pretty progressive show in a lot of ways and with certain characters and storylines. And, and it's been one of the, 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 the shining kind of examples of what comedy can be in a quote unquote woke era for people that you know, consistently say comedy is not good anymore because you can't be funny because you'll offend anybody. Well, Brooklyn Nine-Nine finds this beautiful sweet spot of being funny and being irreverent, but at the same time, it's open to different races, sexualities, and styles of humor that is so inclusive that you feel like it's you know, inviting anybody to enjoy. And I think the biggest hurdle now will be that, you know, it's, it's based in a precinct and it's about police officers. And how do you handle that now? Because there is, yeah. And, and, and as much as those characters are likable, you know, they are still representative of, you know, a, a, a group that obviously a lot of people in uniform, you know, basically hide behind one another or hide behind the badge so you know it's going to have to really dive deep deeper than it normally does to kind of tell a story that reflects what's going on now yeah um i'm gonna skip a couple of these because we're running long uh eric i know you were really excited about cobra kai moving to netflix for season three. Oh yeah just um, amazing uh, Hugh Jackman, um, is going to play Enzo Ferrari in, um, uh, the, is it Michael Mann? I thought it was, um, yeah, Michael Mann was originally going to do the Ford versus Ferrari movie called, uh, right. go like hell. And then he was going to do the Ferrari biopic with Christian Bale. Christian Bale went over to, uh, Ford the versus Ferrari. Yeah. And then he, and then man originally, after getting uh, Hugh Jackman ditched it because Ford versus Ferrari, but now you have uh, uh, the Cannes Film Festival digital um, market taking place, and this is one proposed project. And I'm sure right now Michael Mann is kind of trying to figure out what he wants to do because he's a filmmaker that doesn't make a lot of movies. The last film he did was uh, Black Hat, and on top of that, he was going to do that HBO Max series um, uh, Tokyo Vice, but I'm not sure what the future of that series is because of Ansel Elgort being the lead of it. Yeah. Oh God. We didn't even get into that, but yeah. Um, and then finally drew Goddard boards, uh, Lord and Miller's astronaut movie, um, with Ryan Gosling. So he's coming in to work on the story with them. And he worked with, um, um, he worked on the Martian with, uh, um, Ridley Scott. Andy Weir. So, yeah, and Andy, Andy Weir. And he got an Oscar nomination for The Martian for adapted screenplay. So that kind of makes sense, I guess. He's used to adapting Andy Weir's stuff. And, and Lord and Miller, if this is going to be kind of something of a you know, more serious take on the subject matter, then maybe it's best they bring someone in like Goddard to uh, work 
with them on it. But they're all good at deconstructing the genres, right? Like you look at 21 and 22 Jump Street and you look at Cabin in the Woods and Bad Time at the El Royale. They take a genre that's been done to death that you're so familiar with and they find new ways to kind of sort of present them and also analyze what makes them work, what makes them not work and be self-referential without being so self-aware that it becomes tedious. They, They find that perfect sweet spot of being funny and also uh, very smart at, at the same time. I mean, they're two of my favorites. I think they're some of the best guys working um, in Hollywood right now. And I love Drew Goddard too. So uh, love that team. Uh, Eric, thank you. Another marathon episode of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Um, we've been doing some talking behind the scenes and we might move this to a bi-weekly schedule just because we give you guys, you know, almost two and a half to three hours every, every couple weeks. And especially that there's not a ton of news. Um, I mean, obviously there's a lot to go over today cause we've waited a week and a half or two. Um, so we'll keep you guys posted, but, um, we'll continue to put out, um, uh, reviews on our other channel, untitled movie reviews, uh, with things like the last of us part two, uh, irresistible, um, Eurovision, um, Artemis Fowl, the five bloods, uh, the King of Staten I? Island, Staten Island, tons of reviews over on that channel. And we'll continue to review, um, all the new releases, uh, like Hamilton coming next week, uh, on Disney plus, um, Eric, is there anything else coming up recently that we're probably going to, yeah, jump I'm just going to double check the schedule right now, Matt, and, uh, let you know in just a second, as I am talking and killing time, as I am looking for <laughs> Sorry, the for schedule. No, okay, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Uh, the, uh, the Charlie's Theron, uh, Netflix film, the old guard is July right. 10th. We'll be reviewing um, that. That is about it. There's a couple smaller movies that maybe we should talk about whether or not we're yeah, going we're to review to, them. We'll have that review um, for Ant Kind, the Charlie Kaufman novel that will be coming out July seventh, uh, I believe, or eighth. Uh, so we'll have a review for that. And then, uh, depending on what happens with theaters and a lot of these release dates, we'll keep you guys posted on how Eric and I will will be covering you know, uh, theaters coming back, um, and whether we continue to get screeners or if, uh, press, I don't, I can't imagine press screenings starting anytime soon, but I think press screenings will still be digital. Even if theaters open just for the most part, like, I don't think something like tenant for example, but I think mostly everything else will be digital for press. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, we'll keep you guys posted. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, as always, you can find, uh, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. I'd really love it if you guys also followed, uh, this podcast on all social medias at untitled underscore cast. Eric does a great job of letting you guys know when there's new episodes and new reviews out. Um, we're going to try and, uh, I'm going to try and do a revamp of of all of our socials to make it, uh, uh, easy for you to follow episodes and, and, and things like that. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to brainstorming with Eric of some stuff we can do on social. Cause I think we lean on our personal accounts quite a bit. Um, 
but I, I would love to uh, come up with a visual Start an idea. OnlyFans account. Yes, exactly. The untitled OnlyFans. Um, and then also, if you guys have two seconds, I'd love for you guys to go review this podcast. Um, it would it, it helps us immensely. So whatever podcast platform you listen to this on, if they have an option to review us, um, we'd really appreciate if you hopped over there and uh, hit your highest possible rating. It really helps us out. Yeah. And, and, and again, like if you have a moment to write a review, even if it's just a a sentence or two, we, we really do appreciate it. And we appreciate anybody that not only listens to maybe five minutes of a show uh, that we do, but the whole thing. I mean, if if you get to the end of this and you're listening to us now, (laughs) we're impressed. You're, you guys are champs um because it's just two guys who love talking about movies rambling on and we really do appreciate any uh sort of um response or um support it 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 really does make a difference so thank you so much um you can find more of my reviews uh at rogercv.com slash cinema scene and uh americ marchant on the social media is at em6211 until next time wear a mask